This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. one for the ages for a few reasons one uh no guests for the next four hours so that means there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you and i to chat 800-848-9222 here's the other thing what i do when i'm kind of crafting my list of subjects to put together for you i try to uh find all the subjects that everybody else is talking about and cross those right off I try to be the opposite of what you hear on every other radio talk show. And for the most part, we succeed. And I think that's been one of the keys to our success, quite frankly, is because if you miss a XYZ show, you can always catch those same subjects, those same opinions on uh, one, two, three show. You get what I mean. If, if you miss most shows, that's uh, that's fine because you can hear that same thing elsewhere. If you miss this show, you can't hear what we're doing anywhere else. So, The talk of the world for the last 72 hours has been this Chinese spy balloon. And I've been paying pretty close attention to this. And, you know, it's funny. The cable news ratings over the weekend were apparently through the roof because the whole world was riveted by the by the balloon story. Not since the balloon boy has the world paid so much attention to a balloon. And I was I wasn't watching a lot of television, but I was paying close attention to the updates, and I was just as interested in as ever, ever, everybody else. couple of things here. So I am going to do the same story that everybody else is, but prepare to hear a different take than what you have heard everywhere else. couple of things to keep in mind. One is um, that the Associated Press did report that these Chinese spy balloons have indeed flown over our country before, including when President Trump, who at various times during his presidency was very tough on China. So you had everybody going over these uh, over the weekend debating whether or not President Biden did the right thing or whether he didn't do the right thing. And evidently, they this has indeed happened before. That's being disputed. Uh, but the Pentagon is saying that this has happened before. The Pentagon press secretary said in a statement, instances of this kind of balloon activity have been observed previously over the past several years. You judge for yourself whether you think the Pentagon is telling the truth or not. But I will say this. One of the things, the first thing I want to say is, I think it was the correct move to shoot down this balloon. And you're welcome to disagree. You're welcome to agree. 800-848-9222. I don't think foreign countries should just be able to send uh, spy devices over American airspace and not have it shot down. So I think even if it wasn't a national security threat, which all the so-called experts say that it wasn't, I think it was certainly the right move to shoot it down. I actually think it should have been shot down earlier. 
Uh, President Biden says that uh, they wanted to wait until it was over water and there was less debris. Okay, you know, I'm not an expert in uh, military procedure or what kind of debris would have caused what kind of damage to the people below. I I have no idea. I tend to think that it should have been shot down earlier. That being said, the one thing that the whole world seems to agree upon at this point is that there has been now a dramatic escalation of tensions between the United States and China. And you know me, I don't think there's a host on the radio that has been more critical of the Chinese Communist government than I have. Uh, And not just for what they've done to the United States and the world, but for what they do to their own people. And again, I am very pro-Chinese person, but not the Chinese Communist government. So the U.S. military shot down this Chinese balloon floating over the United States on Saturday. Washington, D.C. and the Pentagon have confirmed this was a surveillance balloon and not a civilian aircraft used for weather purposes, as was claimed by the Chinese government. So an F-22 fighter plane shot down this balloon with a with a missile when it was over the coast of South Carolina. They say that was done for safety purposes. The Chinese foreign ministry responded Sunday morning by calling this, quote, a clear overreaction and a serious violation of international practice. Now, the question I want you to ask is, is it? Is it? I'm going to give you some perspective, and I'm going to give you some history, and I'm going to give you some things that you not, have not heard elsewhere. But before we do, before I do that, I want you to keep in mind the farewell address of two former presidents. One we've played before and recently and the other was around before there was television. This was uh, General Eisenhower, a very popular president, even by the time he left office, which at the time was very rare. Well, still it's very rare to after your second term to still be uh, as popular as you were at the time that you were elected. But Eisenhower was. What did he warn the country about when he left in 1960? In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Technically, I guess that was 1961. Keep those words in mind, but I also want you to keep the words in mind of the only other five-star general in American history who was ever a president, and that was George Washington. George Washington was elected president Saturday uh, in 1789 on February 4th. What did he say in his farewell address? He warned about two things, both of which the United States is rapidly ignoring. One, he warned about uh, political parties and seeing the nation divided because of the uh, the rise of faction and political parties. The other thing he said, and he spent a lot of time on this, and I went back and read this farewell address uh, over the weekend, and it's just masterfully written. He warned about getting involved in the affairs of Europe. Now, since we've ignored Washington's words, over the last... 70 to 80 years, the military-industrial complex, as warned by Eisenhower, his words, his warnings have come to fruition. And I would venture to say that that they're running Washington. And I would venture to say that they're pretty close to making policy in all the Western world. 
the defense industry, they had um, they were making billions for the 20 years that we were in Afghanistan. We can just debate about the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan and how it was handled. Fine. I would agree that Biden and his team handled it poorly. But the fact of the matter is, once that war in Afghanistan ended, the gravy train for these defense industrial contractors ended. What then began right after that withdrawal from Afghanistan and that gravy train for these defense contractors, Boeing, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, so on? What began right after that? Ah, yes, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we're told every week, every day, practically, of the essential nature of giving the Ukrainians American weapons. And even the weapons that aren't American in nature, they're sold to the Ukrainians by American defense contractors. And now, oh, now the big thing is we got to get them fighter jets. We just gave them tanks. We've given them billions of dollars in direct aid, billions of dollars in cash, which no one could seem to find. But now the big thing is we got to give them fighter jets. So anyway, now some people, I used to be a lonely voice in the wilderness on this issue saying, excuse me, hey, maybe we should think twice before giving all sorts of weapons and money to buy weapons uh, to Ukraine as they fight the country with the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons on the earth. I, it was me. I was considered a fringe lunatic along with the likes of uh, uh, Rand Paul and, uh, you know, whoever, else, Ralph Nader and Pat Buchanan, right? It was the four of us versus the world. Now, as people are seeing what's going on here, now more and more people are raising the same questions that I've been raising about the money that we're spending in Ukraine, about the money that we're spending, sending over there. And folks are saying, wait a minute, should this blank check continue? So isn't it interesting that right when this Ukraine situation is starting to be more openly questioned, and I'm starting to see fewer Ukrainian flags in my neighborhood, isn't it interesting that now this China situation occurs? Now, let's look at this China situation. So a couple of things have happened. Yet the uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken postponed a long-awaited trip to China in response to the sighting of this uh, Chinese surveillance balloon, despite Pentagon assurances that the balloon poses quote no risk to commercial aviation, military assets, or people on the ground. Members of Congress used the incident to hype fears about China. Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, it is a threat right here at home. It is a threat to American sovereignty, and it is a threat to the Midwest in places like those that I live in. Uh, Willard Mitt Romney tweeted, a big Chinese balloon in the sky and millions of Chinese TikTok balloons on our phones. Let's shut them all down. You're not going to get a defender in TikTok and me, but it is interesting that he's saying that so publicly now. Foreign surveillance of sensitive U.S. sites is not a new phenomenon. According to CIA analyst George Beebe, who's been a guest on this show many times, he's one of my favorite guests. In fact, I wish, uh, in fact, I did try to get him on tonight, but the hours didn't work. The, um, this is what he said. It's been a fact of life since the dawn of the nuclear age and with the advent of satellite surveillance systems that long ago it became an everyday occurrence, meaning 
surveillance of sensitive U.S. sites. U.S. surveillance of foreign countries, similarly, is very common. Indeed, great countries, great powers gathering intelligence on each other is one of the more normal and universal facts of international relations. Major countries even spy on their own allies. As when, remember, the U.S. intelligence agencies bugged the cell phone of the German Chancellor Angela Merkel? That's our ally. Or how about when uh, the Israelis uh, paid Jonathan Pollard to spy on their ally, the U.S. government? So these are allies spying on one another. Imagine what goes on with adversaries. Typically, even when such surveillance is directed against the United States by a rival power, which China certainly is, it does not threaten the safety of Americans, and it poses manageable risks to um, sites where secrecy is pretty important. However, in the context of rapidly increasing U.S.-China tensions, foreseeable incidents like this one can quickly balloon, thank you, into dangerous confrontations. In such a situation, interested parties recast these universal, very normal behaviors of all major states as a uniquely sinister characteristic of the antagonist alone. We heard all these commentators screaming over the weekend. We heard all these politicians call for confrontation. And these one-sided attacks are used to whip up popular nationalism. This meltdown in Washington over this Chinese balloon risks becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Scaremongering over a manageable threat will speed the rush into destructive confrontation with China, turning what was once an everyday occurrence into a major danger. You need look no further than what happened in 2001. Do you remember this? In um, uh, where we saw a U.S. spy plane off the coast of China collide with a Chinese military jet. To imagine what's at stake today, right? That collision resulted in the loss of a Chinese pilot and the unauthorized emergency landing of that U.S. spy plane on Chinese territory. Now, wouldn't you say that's a more aggressive act than a spy balloon? An actual spy plane which landed in China and collided with a a Chinese jet in in the process and killed a Chinese pilot? The crew... You guys remember this. I mean, it kind of got washed away with all the September 11th stuff. But this was the big diplomatic challenge of Bush's first five months in office. This was a big deal back then. The crew was taken into Chinese custody and held for 10 days until the diplomatic incident could be resolved with Washington delivering a letter expressing regret and sorrow. We had to apologize publicly for spying on China and killing one of their pilots. And they wouldn't let our crew go. So as that incident demonstrated, the moments of highest tension are precisely those when diplomacy is most essential. Face-to-face discussion between U.S. and Chinese leaders is badly needed to ensure that these incidents are carefully managed and contained. Yet, the toxic politics that dominates Washington, seems to have convinced the Biden administration 
to further restrict communications with Beijing by calling off Tony Blinken's trip. So if this Chinese spy balloon is such a serious problem, wouldn't that be all the more reason to proceed with high-level diplomatic contact? Instead, Blinken suddenly cancels his big trip to China, really doesn't get enough credit for, I mean, this guy has been a terrible secretary of state. Every time there's an opportunity to use diplomacy, he just blows it up. And obviously, I'm sure this was more of a Biden decision than a Blinken one. But if you're not going to have diplomatic talks now, when you have Americans and I'm sure Chinese calling for the other's destruction, when are you going to have diplomatic talks? So you have this spy balloon rocking the nation to its core. The Secretary of Defense was just in the Philippines last week announcing the establishment of new U.S. bases in anticipation of war with China over Taiwan. Um, um, Did you hear anything about that over the weekend or last week? So you had the Secretary of Defense in the Philippines announcing the establishment of new U.S. bases in anticipation of war with China over Taiwan. And yet, any response to this is declared unprovoked. I'm telling you, I see the fingerprints of the military-industrial complex all over this. And I don't necessarily mean only American. uh, Because, look, if you look at what happened here, there was nothing surreptitious about this Chinese balloon. I mean, you could just look at it in the sky. People with cameras were able to see it. So why would the Chinese do this? What was the grand strategy, right? I mean, I'm sure there are some people that are saying that this was a test of uh, American will. If this was a weapon or something like this, how quickly would the U.S. shoot it down? But um, I heard Gordon Chang on uh, one program over the weekend saying that uh, this could reflect a deep disagreement in how to address the United States from a Chinese perspective. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you might see uh, some of the more militaristic members of the Chinese Communist Party doing this, maybe even without the express consent of Xi Jinping, because they're as interested in provoking a confrontation, an armed confrontation with America, as some here in the United States are. So bowing before the pressure of these hawks, in Washington, who routinely inflate the threat that everybody, Iran, Russia, China, poses to American security, that's only going to embolden the speed of hostility between Beijing and Washington. As more and more interests, from weapons contractors to monopolistic corporations to supporters of infrastructure investment, As more of these interests take advantage of the great power vacuum that's in Washington and the great animus that one country has for the other to advance their agendas, the room for a more realistic relationship with China closes even further. The United States is going to find itself trapped in an over-militarized approach towards the challenges posed by China's rise. And this is going to channel the American people's talent and resources into a massive international conflict rather than tackling the 
the big problems that we have here in the United States. Letting the Warhawks set America's agenda on China is going to end in disaster. It's the only way it can end. Conflict, though, is not inevitable. But avoiding a disastrous U.S.-China military confrontation requires tough-minded diplomacy, not Tony Blinken disengaging and taking his ball and going home and saying, no, I'm not going to meet with you. I'm not going to meet with you. Well, well, then I'm sure that'll solve things. You're going to refuse to meet with your counterparts in Beijing? Oh, well, that'll, that'll make everything go away. That'll make the Chinese less likely to send a balloon. I mean, this is such a cartoonish way to conduct foreign affairs. How does no one else see this? I watch these pundits on cable news as, as little as possible, by the way. And I'm listening to, oh, everybody agrees. The Democrat agrees that it was right for Tony Blinken not to go. The Republican agrees. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're not going to meet now, when are you going to meet? Are you going to meet when everything's good with China? Because I got news for you. You know when that's going to happen? Never. This is so, um, this has the fingerprints of the military industrial complex all over it. And, you know, it's funny, as Deep Throat in um, All the President's Men played brilliantly by, uh, I think it was uh, James Whitmore, played brilliantly by James Whitmore, says, follow the money. Follow the money. And who will benefit if the American people are whipped into a frenzy and all set to go to war with China? And you hear the calls of readiness, readiness. Uh, uh, we need to uh, we need to beef up our intelligence capabilities. We need to beef up our military capabilities. Who's going to benefit? Is it you? Are you going to benefit because the country's borrowing more money to buy more weapons from Raytheon? Is it you who are going to benefit because you're going to be paying hundreds of billions of dollars in interest every year on the national debt so that we can buy more and more weapons from Lockheed Martin? No. It is the military-industrial complex, because I got news for you. They're always the one that benefit. So, um, look, there's a lot of different angles to this. I don't want to oversimplify it, but... What occurred here was inexplicable in some levels and very easily explainable on others. And I just hope that uh, this is not used by the hawks that dominate the foreign policy conversation in academia, in think tanks, and on cable news to force the United States into an armed conflict that we should not get into. 800-848-9222. He's, and if this were a book the, or a, a movie, the narrator would then say, Morano naively said, as the U.S. rushed to build military bases in the Philippines in anticipation of a Chinese war. 800-848-9222. Uh, we will let you comment. One, two, three, four open lines. No, three open lines. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Wanted, Dead or Alive. This was a birthday song requested by James Toto. It was his birthday on February 2nd. We're still getting around to playing all of his selections. And uh, James Toto was a friend of mine who lived in New Jersey. And he moved to either North Carolina or South Carolina. I think it's North Carolina. But we're, we're good enough friends that I should know that. So I can't really ask him at this point. Because he's been there for a, uh, over a year now, so I have to pretend like I remember which Carolina he's in. So um, it might have been the very state that this balloon was shot down over. So, I don't know. Um, happy birthday, James Toto. 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 Two, two. Let me. I'm going to go to folks uh, in the order in which they've been holding. Alex is in Brooklyn. Hello, Alex. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Long time no speak. So, you, I agree with you that Anthony Blinken should go to China and have a meeting with, you know, Xi Jinping. But I, I think that he should tell him. And warn him if this ever happens again that we're going to respond with military action. I don't, you know, you think the Democrats are trying, and the reason why he stayed here is because, you know, they're trying to bring this to a level of where we're at war with you with China. The Democrats are never going to start a war with the Chinese. They're bought out by the Chinese. And so here's the thing about this balloon, right? The, the media was saying, oh, this happened under Trump as well, and Trump denied it and said it never happened. And then the Pentagon comes out and says that this kind of thing occurred in the past. They didn't come out and say that this happened under the Trump administration. And believe me, if it would have happened under the Trump administration, the Pentagon would have been very excited to say that it also happened under Trump. So here's what I think happened. This has happened in the past under this Biden administration, where we had balloons going over the United States. But People, passerbyers never saw these balloons, and that's why it never got the attention, and that's why it was never, you know, shot down by our military. The only reason why the Biden administration responded, they knew a week before this, before it was shot down, that this was coming in our direction. It didn't do anything about it. It was only because people took pictures with their phones that they had to respond with action. And so I think that since Joe Biden is bought out by the Chinese, he has to allow them access to be able to to spy in our country and not do anything about it. But in this case, because people were so outraged and the media was talking about it, they had to take some form of action. All right. Uh, look, uh, I guess time will tell, Alex. Uh, I uh, I tend to think, and thank you for the call, I tend to think that um, the issue is not so much Democrat or Republican. Uh, I think the issue is who funds Washington. And if you look at who's giving money to both parties and who's spending lavishly on uh, both parties, it's the military-industrial complex. It's the defense contractors. And uh, these folks have made... Hundreds of billions of dollars through the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, uh, the Ukraine situation. And now they're poised to make a mint with escalating tensions with China. Even if we don't go to war, just the fact that um, we're building military bases in anticipation of a war, just the fact that everybody gets all ginned up. To go be the to have have a military confrontation with China. Who benefits? It's Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Martin, et cetera, et cetera, Northrop Grumman, and the rest of uh, these military-industrial uh, contractors. So, you know, according to the U.N., 
Ukraine's economy contracted by over 35% last year. That would mean it now has a GDP lower than Mississippi. At this point, it seems Western aid is not doing much for them. It's more like life support. So um, you see the headlines in papers like the Wall Street Journal, China aids Russia's war in Ukraine, trade data shows. There, there's just such an interest in making sure that Americans know who the bad guys are here, Russia, China, etc. And the way to, the way to um, beat back the bad guys is to send them more American weapons and send them more money. So the big ideological divide right now in this country is you have the Republicans who want to go guns blazing at first sight and shoot Chinese objects over land, whereas Democrats will wait to shoot till the object is over sea. It's not really much of a difference between the two major parties. So, I mean, the if what we're being told is correct and the Air Force just shot down a Chinese military aircraft. That's an instance of physical warfare breaking out on U.S. territory. And yet, people seem thrilled by this. They're absolutely salivating for war against China with Russia thrown in for good measure. Look at our ally. You know, it's funny. I was um, having a discussion. I'll save you the details of it because it's not really relevant to what we're talking about. But I was having a discussion with my wife today, yesterday, about the war in Yemen. And she was not really that familiar with it because she's busy. She's busy raising a child, working two jobs, running our household, trying to keep track of me, squeezing in a little sleep. And I'm going through the humanitarian uh, catastrophe that is this war in Yemen. And the fact that so many of these women and children, these innocent civilians in Yemen, are being murdered with U.S.-made weapons. And she said to me, Why is no one, why haven't I heard about this? Why hasn't this been on the news? And I think it comes down to who benefits. Who's benefiting? Well, the fact that we and the Saudis are on the side of the people bombing those civilians in in Yemen, I think that tells you why it's not on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. Whereas uh, the more the more we put on radio and television and the newspaper, oh, Zelensky needs tanks. Okay, we gave him tanks. Oh, now he needs javelin missiles. Okay, we'll give him missiles. Oh, now he needs uh, fighter jets. The more that uh, message is amplified by American media, the people that benefit are the defense contractors that are running policy in this country and the world. As Eisenhower warned about, you ignored Washington at your own peril, and now the world is ignoring Eisenhower at your own peril. The only two five-star generals ever to be president, and Americans are saying, oh, we don't care what you say. Yeah, We know better. We know better. We're going to listen to these talking heads on cable news who wouldn't know the difference between, uh, you know, a, a, a spy balloon and a hot air balloon. 800-848-9222. I'm going to uh, get to your calls in a second. One thing I do want to mention is uh, I'm still uh, I'm still going to be on the uh, I'm still abstaining from eggs because of the egg prices. 
And it's very difficult because eggs are my favorite food. But my son, you know, I'll make him an egg on the weekend. And my wife was, you know, I let my wife sleep in on Saturdays because that's the only day she really gets to sleep in. So I get up with Carmine. I'm up anyway early because my sleep schedule is all out of whack. And so I get up early with Carmine and I'm making him breakfast. And as I'm making him breakfast, my wife comes down. I said, oh, you know, I'm making Carmine breakfast. Do you want something? Yeah, I'll take an egg too. So I make them two eggs. And I very lightly season them because I know Rachel always complains that I over-season. Just a little, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, a little bit of cheese. But, I w- you know, one of the things that I do, and I never really understood the term food porn before, but now that I'm abstaining from eggs, I do kind of get it. I am now looking at egg recipes and egg videos the way that I feel sexually frustrated people look at pornography. So... What I found, I found this very interesting recipe for eggs that contain a hint of lemon. Lemon. So I was making my scrambled eggs for Carmine and Rachel, and I put just a couple of drops of lemon juice in the eggs, and I whip them up, and I serve them. They look great, and Carmine's enjoying them. Rachel takes a couple of bites and she says, is there lime in here? I said, no, there's a little hint of lemon. And she said, it, it, it tastes weird. So she didn't finish them. She didn't like them. But uh, bec- I ate them because I wasn't going to let them go to, go, go to waste. I have to tell you, I enjoyed it. If you have not tried these lemon eggs or any of the many lemon egg recipes that are out there, give it a try because I found it very refreshing. It did taste a little weird. I'm going to give my wife that. She did not like it. I liked it. I would encourage you to uh, try this recipe on your own and uh, tell me what you think. Because I thought it was really interesting, really creative use of flavor. But uh, not everybody agrees, clearly. All right. Um, By the way, so I came in today and there's no water in any of the water coolers. And look, I understand we run out of water. Obviously, there's a lot of people that work here, and especially on the weekend, people are drinking water. But what I don't get, quite frankly, <clears throat> is I wish some somebody that that was here, Curtis or any of these other folks that are here, would have given me a heads up. Hey, by the way, just so you know, we're out of water here. So if you want to bring water from home or <laughs> grab a water bottle, maybe you know, maybe that's a good idea, so that you don't have to do four hours while only drinking coffee and tea. Uh, so I do. I did find one eight-fluent-ounce bottle of water, one of these mini water bottles, which I, which I hate because it's like, it's like a shot glass of water, and I'm used to drinking a 40-ounce bottle of water. So I have these, I'm going to savor these eight ounces. But, but fellas, honest, in, all, in all candor, why didn't you give me a heads up that, hey, you know, just so you know, there's no water, maybe grab one. And I would have brought water for everybody. Anybody? I I didn't really realize that there was no water because when I come in, I, I sit right down. So I didn't know that there was – I mean, I, I see there's no water bottles. I mean, the big tub of water on the, the water cooler. But I didn't realize that there was actually no big jugs anywhere. I see. Because Curtis had his water. Right. Well, he, he probably got a heads up from somebody. 
that uh, you know that there was no water or finish the water. Well, that's 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 very likely. I figure though, don't you always bring your own like big bottle? Y- yes, but I fill it here though. Why don't you fill it at home and then have well, I would have a reserve at from home. I would have. I'm not a camel, you yeah, know. But I, I figured you'd bring a full one here, and then when you run out of ammo, that's when you're like, "Oh, there's is, no water." Left. Is that is that the calculation you uh-huh. do? Well, so I mean, look, the big loser in this whole thing is anybody that has drinks in the refrigerator right now that are unlabeled. So so far, I've taken this this mini bottle of water, which I'm going to be done with in a moment. And then I also took this Celsius drink. I don't know whose this is, but this Celsius Live Fit. I don't know. I guess it's an energy drink. And then there's a green uh, press juice in there that I've also absconded with. And then the next, there's two nice big bottles of white wine in there, which we're going to tap into next if uh, if we don't get something done. So that's that's <laughs> the that's, uh, but all I would ask, honestly, is just give me a heads up. Give me a heads up. And not only will I bring water for me, but I'll bring water for everybody, and uh, which I've done before, repeatedly. Now, I know you're a soda drinker, Matt, so you don't drink the water, I guess. No, I usually have my own drinks. And I've brought bottles of water before as a reserve. But, but you brought soda have... today, Yeah, right? but I have soda. That's your go-to, Coke Zero. Yes, and I gave Ken a Coke Zero. Oh, you gave Ken a Coke Zero? Yes. I was like, hey, here you go. You want one? Well, I mean, no, I, I shouldn't have it. I'll be belching while I'm... Uh, re- Doing this program, but it would have been nice to have been offered a Coke Zero. I just did. I know. Okay, but I felt like it was offered under under duress. Um, all right, so there you go. There you have it. Uh, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Uh, let me say hello to uh, David in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hey, David, uh, I uh, am pleased to see a lot of people donating to your uh, GoFundMe campaign. There, how's that going? Has the the uh, progenitor of that GoFundMe ran off like George Santos? No, no. I've been in contact with him. Good. And he actually sent me the first allotment from the uh, oh, good. thing. Because they, they don't give it to you all at once, which is fine with me. I actually have to go get some insulin tomorrow, so hopefully it'll show up by then. Hey, so a um, lot of people, when they were – maybe you saw the comments because I know that you follow the, um, the Facebook group. But I, a couple of the people commented – when uh, I think it was Ellen or someone else who shared the uh, GoFundMe on my Facebook page, and I shared it as well, facebook.com slash Moranofan. But it, a couple of people asked, well, why is David not being covered by Medicaid for these, uh, these, pr- okay, these pr- I, drugs? Yeah, I actually wanted to explain that quickly. I um, am not eligible for Medicaid because I receive Social Security Disability and my income is above 138% of the poverty level which is ridiculous if you look at what the poverty level is in New York City. But um, what happened was because of the increase in Social Security because of inflation, Uh. I'm now over that limit. So they cut off my – what's called Medicare Extra Help, which covered most of my prescription drug expenses. So now I have to pay full price, and I lost – I have to pay a deductible now and everything else Mm. that I wasn't prepared for. That's why I have to you know, resort to these means to pay for this stuff. It's, It's ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. Especially when illegals or asylum seekers or whatever you want to call them are getting don't get started again, but are receiving all these benefits that American citizens have to struggle for. And this happened with Dominic's program. There are people out there who are disabled and elderly who are struggling, 
who've lived here their entire lives and contributed, and they're being shoved to the side by people who just got here. David, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. At the rate we're no, going, at the rate we're going, you're going to be disqualified from being Donald Trump's running mate because you're too conservative, the way you're sounding. Well, listen, I'll tell you something. The Democrats are in real trouble with people like me because it, the first goal of any political party or any government is to serve its citizens first, Okay. I am very sympathetic to the migrants, asylum seekers, or whatever you want to call them, but they need to act a certain. They need to be appreciative, and they need to follow our rules, which these people in front of that hotel were not doing, which got me upset in the first place. Uh, uh, David, but, real you, quick on the, on the China front, what do you want to say? Yeah, I know. That's why I want to get back sure, to that. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Right, so the important thing with, with China is that it is going to be the number one rival for the United States for probably the rest of our lifetime, and it's sort of naive to think that it's the industrial military complex that's driving all of this, because guess what? China has one too, and they're not going to disappear either because there's billions and billions of dollars the Chinese are spending and planning to spend to build aircraft carriers, to increase their nuclear arsenal, to build missiles that can take down our aircraft carriers. So there is a real threat, but I think the Biden administration caved to political pressure from Republicans by canceling the, the um, diplomatic meeting and shooting down the balloon. I don't think our policy should be driven by polling or uh, worry about political stuff. So I agree with you basically, but I think China is a real threat. Oh, so do I. Uh, so do I, David. I, I just – I don't think when you're um, – when you have this sort of escalation of tensions, when you're shooting down enemy b- uh, balloons or a- enemy aircraft of any sort – that the right thing to do is to cut off diplomatic discussions. I think that's the precise opposite uh, approach that uh, that can be taken. Right. Uh, David, thanks for the call. Good luck with everything. Thank Keep you. us posted. And uh, I am planning to make a contribution to David I, as well. I haven't done so yet. but uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody else, but there are a number of other listeners that we have that call in regularly and listen regularly that are also facing a lot of significant health challenges. I don't want to name Everybody, because, you know, it's their business if they want to, um, you, you know, come and say that. But I want to wish let everybody know that is battling various ailments that I'm thinking of you and wishing you the uh, the very best. Just for for, you know, I mean, for David to compare, though, I just want to mention the Chinese military defense industry with the American one. Do you know what the Chinese military budget is? The defense budget in China, all told, and this includes a lot of their police budget, because basically the Chinese police are an extension of their military. All told, the Chinese military budget is $229 billion. $229 billion. Do you have any idea what the American military budget is? $1.9 trillion. $1.9 trillion American versus $229 billion Chinese. They could um, they could quadruple that and still not be spending as much as we're spending. And the rate of increase that the U.S. has engaged in um, over the last 20 years, it dwarfs what the Chinese are doing. So um, I think and I think the reason for that is because of the campaign contributions and the lobbying money that's spent by these big defense contractors. I'm sorry. But uh, there's nothing that you will say that uh, will convince me otherwise. Absolutely nothing.
800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Uh, this is another James Toto selection. By the way, <clears throat> because he's farther away, oftentimes Alex Barnard, our producer, doesn't always get to speak the way these guys do. I just look up at these guys and, and they're ready to speak. Alex has to walk 30 feet down the hall. So a lot of times by the time he walks down here, you know, kind of we've moved on from whatever we're talking about. So Alex, in his very... I don't know how to describe the manner in which he in, in inserts commentary other than to call it somewhat snarky. I think that's an apt description. He says, regarding the water, you know the kitchen has a working sink, right? Now, obviously Alex knows that I know this, the, the kitchen has a working sink. But does he think that I don't know that? Okay. Now, um, the water out of the sink... I think it's, I use it, and I, I may use some more of it today. It does not taste the same as the water out of the um, water jugs. And that's no reflection on, you know, on the kind of sink we have or anything. It just, it has a certain taste to it. It, it has a certain metallic um, taste to it. That's different than the taste that's that's in the filtered water. And so I'm just a little less enthusiastic about you know, about tasting it. And so I say, have you tasted it? His response, yeah. It tastes fine. Fine. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. But then, you know, if you ever walk, and Alex works very hard. He's doing five, the job of five people. He's editing audio. He's working on four different shows. He's uh, putting together his newscasts for WABC in New York. He's got a lot going on. And I'm sure he's squeezing in some promotional opportunities for, uh, you know, his deaf metal band as well. Yes, that is correct. But you walk by his work area, and the the scent of whatever he's eating, you could smell 40 feet away. I don't know what he was eating today. It smelled like some sort of a, a very pungent um, veal parmesan or something. It, it stinks it, in you, here. It was very pungent. And I really do think that the only reason Alex would make this you know, declaration about the water out of the sink tasting comparable to the water that's in the water coolers we have is because his taste buds are so altered 
by whatever he's eating at any given time. Sometimes it's halal. Sometimes it's the boxes of pizza that he will take home that I am getting for everybody. Yes, that is and, correct. And today it, it seems to be Italian. Uh, Matt, interrupt me as soon as I say something that's incorrect. I have nothing to interrupt because right, okay. it's 100% right. Yeah, you smell that, right? That comes out of that yeah, area? I'm, I'm very glad that he's way down there and not <laughs> even close to here. But it is very pungent. Yeah, it comes so, through the door if and, he's sitting can, on a desk outside. Kenneth, am I, am I off oh, on this at all? No, you're spot on. Okay, and, and obviously you guys would have no problem you know, correcting me if I, if I were a little off. What he's eating is so... It's so pungent from an olfactory perspective that it's got to alter his taste in water. To me, water should be like vodka, tasteless, right? But um, I, I, maybe if you're using it to wash down these, this massive Italian feast that you're consuming— Maybe it is. It tastes I, like the best bottle of water he's ever had right. when he's washing it down, whatever he's eating. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, I'm sure this will come up on uh, today's edition of The Darker Side of Midnight. If you're not up on that, The Darker Side of Midnight, we went through the podcast numbers on Friday. It is, um, it is rising through the ranks of uh, a lot of the podcasts that are offered on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So The Darker Side of Midnight is this kind of post-show that Kenneth, Matt, and Alex do, in which they 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 basically make fun of me for a half hour, and that's fine. But um, they are uh, really developing quite a following, and nobody's more surprised about it than me. But they're they're getting more downloads per episode and per week than from some shows and some podcasts that have been on the network for a year. And they've been on for two weeks. So if you want to hear what you're missing, you can go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com uh, or you could just search The Darker Side of Midnight on iTunes or any podcast app and you could hear it. Meantime, uh, I've been doing my own podcast and I just got a compliment uh, off air from Curtis Slewa, which is very rare. He said, you know, I heard that interview that you did with uh, Rita Giganti, the daughter of Vincent Giganti. And you said, he said, you know me, I hate all these podcasts. But that was actually really interesting to listen to. So um, can we play a quick clip of that? So you did believe that for at least a time that your father's mental illness was was real. You didn't always know yeah. that it was a put on. No, no. When I was younger, I, I thought, you know, that this was my God. You know, he had an illness. I mean, if you saw what if you witnessed what I did, you would believe it. You would actually mm. believe it because I read all about it. I've seen them in the hospitals. I'm like, my God, he could have won an Academy Award. So we get into her father's mental illness when she learned it was fake and what her role is. And I ask her if she has any guilt about helping perpetuate a fraud on the public. Listen to the whole podcast. Go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
So we've been talking about the uh, upcoming show uh, this weekend, shows that I'm doing with William Shatner. And if you're not familiar with that, I'm really excited about this. Uh, Really, if I got to, uh, if I was ever terminally ill, which I hope that I never am, but this would be pretty close to the wish that I would have, to be able to go on stage with William Shatner and ask him questions about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's still pretty tough for me to believe. But I guarantee you, if you come to these shows that we're doing, Friday in Red Bank or Saturday in Englewood, and if you want tickets uh, to the Saturday show, there's still some available at bergenpack.com. We'll tell you about it later. Just make sure you use the um, promo code FRANKNJ. But this will be the best interview William Shatner has ever done because I have spent my entire life Preparing for this interview, watching Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, reading all of Shatner's books and researching every aspect of of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And this is the kind of thing that you you can't fake, right? This is uh, the kind of thing that can only come with years of study. And it got me wondering... I have I was telling somebody over the weekend about Dr. Joyce Brothers. Do you know about Dr. Joyce Brothers? Yeah. Matt Blaze, do you know who Dr. Joyce Brothers was? She's no longer with us. Yeah, she was like a psychologist. Right, right. Do you know how she first became famous? That I don't know. I just know she was on a bunch of talk shows all the time. That's right. She and she was great. She was terrific. Um, so Dr. Joyce Brothers um, first became famous in 1955 because she won the top prize on the game show. And look, I'm a game show guy. She won the top prize on the game show, the $64,000 question. So her fame from the game show allowed her to go on to host various advice columns and television shows, which established her really as a pioneer in the field of pop psychology. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the um, the $64,000 question, but essentially you would go on there, and then there was a spinoff after that, the $64,000 challenge, But you would go on there and answer general knowledge questions and earn money, which doubled as the questions became more difficult. And um, one of the things that you would would do if you were a contestant is you would choose a subject category from the, uh, you know, from the board. Could be jazz, football, Lincoln, boxing. And although this board was a large part of the set, it was only seen briefly probably to conceal the fact that the categories were sometimes hastily added to match a new contestant's subject. The contestant was then added the contestant was then asked questions only in the chosen category, earning money which doubled. So it would go $64, $128, $256, $512, you get it. As the questions became more difficult, at the $4,000 level, a contestant returned each week for only one question per week. And the contestant could quit any time and retire with their money, but until they won uh, 520, uh, excuse me, until they won $512, they lost, and keep on, this was the 50s. This is when $64,000 was a lot of money. 
So until they won $512, they lost all winnings for answering a question incorrectly. If you miss a $1,000 question or a $2,000 question or a $4,000 question, that left the contestant with $512. If a contestant missed a question after winning $4,000, they received a consolation prize of a new Cadillac. All right, so you get the you get the impression. Almost immediately, this game show, the $64,000 question, beat every other program on Tuesday nights in the ratings. Um, the broadcast historian Robert Metz claimed that President Eisenhower himself did not want to be disturbed while the show was on and that the nation's crime rate, uh, who knows if this is accurate, but that the nation's crime rate restaurant patronage, and movie theater attendance all dropped dramatically when the show aired. That's how popular the show was. It earned the number one rating spot for the 1955-1956 season, and it held the distinction of being the only television show to knock I Love Lucy out of the number one spot. Can you imagine? Uh, And there were so many shows, even to this day, so many shows that uh, that uh, emulated this format. Back to Dr. Joyce Brothers. So she goes on this show, the $64,000 question. She's a psychologist, remember. And at the time that she went on this show, she was not famous at all. Um, her first TV appearance was at the age of 28. And at that time... Her husband was making $50 a month, a month, as a medical intern at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, which was not enough to support them and their three-year-old daughter. So to escape what Dr. Joyce Brothers called slum-like conditions in her New York City walk-up, she was driven to enter as a contestant on the game show, The $64,000 Question. See, so far it sounds like the plot of a 1950s American version of Slumdog Millionaire. But this is all true. This show had the largest jackpot of all the quiz shows at the time. So to become a contestant, Joyce Brothers had to write a letter describing herself and her hobbies and why she would make a great contestant and what she would do if she were to carry forth with the winnings. Eventually, the letter landed her an interview with the show's producer. While in her letter... She discussed her qualifications in the fields of psychology, home economics. She was not allowed to use her expert knowledge for the show because the $64,000 question did not allow participants to be quizzed on topics of their expertise or their profession. So you, you can't be a psychologist and go on and answer questions about psychology. As such, she had to come up with a new topic area for her to be quizzed on for the show. Now, keep in mind where we are at the time. 1950s America. This is back in the day when there were only two genders. And in that, in those days, the gender roles were very specifically defined. With the gender roles of the time in mind, the producer thought he could draw in the most viewership by juxtaposing Dr. Joyce Brothers' perceived frailty as a woman with the idea that she knew a great deal about a more masculine field. So he is credited with saying that Joyce Brothers should be given a topic on, quote, something that she wouldn't know about, something like if it were football or if it were horse racing or boxing. 
Dr. Joyce Brothers' husband was a great fan of boxing. So, so she chose that as her topic. And who knows how much of this is accurate. Here's Dr. Joyce Brothers on the $64,000 question, by the way. That's something we've never explored on this program. And being a psychologist, you might be able to give me the answer. Which suffers the greatest anxieties, the contestants or me? Oh, the contestants, definitely. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're sure of that, huh? Absolutely sure. Why are you so sure? Well, for one thing, you know what your function is on the show. You know that it's just what you're expected to do. But for a contestant, it's a, well, it's a new and it's a terrifying experience. It's kind of like being thrown into an ocean and told to swim for the first time. Now, um, you could tell she's very charming, very engaging, but that doesn't get you $64,000. So the rumor is, this is the myth that has kind of evolved over the last, you know, 50, 60 years. The rumor is that Dr. Joyce Brothers never had an interest in boxing. The rumor, she never watched boxing, knew nothing about boxing, other than that her husband liked it. So her husband was a fan. So to prepare, she studied uh, 20-volume boxing encyclopedias and many years' worth of Ring magazine issues, and she worked with a boxing writer by the name of Nat Fleischer and a former Olympic boxing champion and the New York State Athletic Commissioner, Edward Fagan. After studying, she progressed on the show for several weeks. Despite the show's producers' efforts to stump her at the $16,000 mark by asking questions involving referees rather than the boxers themselves, she exceeded expectations and won the top prize. See, She knew nothing about boxing, basically nothing. She crammed and became an expert in boxing just by reading this 24-volume encyclopedia, talking to a few people that were experts, and she used her photographic memory and focus to learn everything she could, and she quickly became regarded as an expert in the subject area of boxing. And her success on the $64,000 question, earned her a chance to be the color commentator for CBS during the boxing match that uh, Sugar Ray Robinson was fighting. She was said to have been the first female boxing commentator. And then she quickly spun this off into a whole bunch of other TV appearances, talk shows, as as Matt mentioned. So it got me wondering, and I asked my wife this on... uh, Sunday morning, because both of us happened to be up at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. Our son was crying, and both of us happened to get up. My wife was having back pain from cleaning all day, and I was having a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, acid reflux. So we were both awake, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know what brought this on, but I said to her, I keep with Dr. Joyce Brothers in mind, in this episode in mind, I said, let's say... You had a limited amount of time to prepare for a game show or something like this where you could become an expert in any one category. Could be anything. What would you pick? What do you think the easiest subject to become an expert in is? Could be anything. Could be baseball. Could be boxing. Could be U.S. presidents. Could be... uh, the TV show Seinfeld, could be anything. If you were to pick one subject, what would it be? And 
I've been thinking about that for the last 24 hours. So I thought I might ask you, if you had to cram for a game show and you had to become an expert in one subject in, let's say, a week, you have a week, maybe two weeks to become an expert on any one subject, what subject do you think is the easiest to become an expert in? Uh, like, for instance, a field like medicine, I don't think anybody would pick because people go to medical school for years and then they do residencies and that all plays into why they have expertise. Something like uh, the law, same thing, law school for three years, all the case study you have to worry about. You're not going to be able to become an expert in the law in only two weeks. U.S. presidents, maybe, maybe. You know, I, it's funny as I was uh, as I was contemplating this and picking which subject, um, I was reminded of that episode of Married with Children, where Kelly Bundy is in the same situation, and she becomes an expert on sports in only two weeks by cramming. I'm wondering what you could really become an expert in in two weeks of study. You, let's say you're studying uh, six, seven, eight hours a day every day for two weeks. What could you become a master in and hold your expertise up to anyone else on the face of the earth? You know, I'm, I was tempted to say a television program like I Love Lucy or Seinfeld, but there's so much behind the scenes stuff that you don't get just by watching the episodes. And even if you do watch all the episodes, you don't really become an expert unless you watch all the episodes again and again, as I have with Star Trek Two. So uh, I'd love to know what you think. What could you become an expert in in two weeks that could rival the expertise of anyone in the world on that subject? What do you think? 800-848-9222. You have a pick, Matt? Well, it reminded me of the movie White Men Can't Jump with uh, Woody Harrelson and Rosie Perez. And she's studying to be on Jeopardy. Right. And all the categories that she studied were the categories that became on Jeopardy. Right. Foods that start with the letter Q. And that's exactly what I just said to Ken. I said, that's my category. Foods that begin with the letter Q. That's funny. So that's that's the one thing that you think that's you That's what could I would be- study. <laughs> that's not bad. Okay. See, that's that's a category that one could master. But I don't know, though, honestly, because... It, you know, you, when you're talking expertise, you really got to know the background, right? So let's say there's um, vegetables that starts with uh, with Q or, or fruit. Then you have to know a little bit about the field and the history of those vegetables. I'm not sure it's as easy a category as you think. Maybe it is. Um, maybe foods that start with the letter X. That might be easier. 800-848-9222. Jack is in Connecticut. Hello, Jack. Good morning, Frank. I can't believe you're talking about this because... Myself, being born in 1955, has seen the honeymooner episode where they call it the $64,000 answer Ah. 10,000 times. You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I love that episode. That that is one of my favorite episodes. Do you remember the the category that Ralph Cramden chose? I I remember his answer of hamana, hamana, hamana. (laughs) Remind me of the category, though. He chose popular music. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah. And he studied for the whole week. He got he bought 
He bought sheets and he bought records and he bought albums and he had uh, Ed Norton play the piano and rehearse a thousand songs and he was an expert. The uh, the whole building came back to his apartment and they said, who who is the not only the writer who sang and made the song? He knew every single answer all week long. He was going for the sixty four thousand dollar answer, and uh, Alice said to him. Ralph, I'll be happy with the $500. And he says, man, peanuts, peanuts, Alice. What am I going to do with No, a bag of shells. He bag of shells, he says. Huh? No, he says it's a bag of shells, right? He No, he said, he said $500, it's peanuts. What am I going to do with peanuts? And she says, eat them like any other elephant. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That, uh, Frank, I love that episode. And then he went on the show, and they asked him the first – and Ed Norton would play Swanee River as a as a warm up before Ralph uh, got into the uh, studying of the music. He would play da 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 da, and Ralph would say, "Why are you playing that? A pitcher warms up. I have to warm up at the keys." He goes on television, and that's the song that they play. And who is the composer of Swanee River? And Ralph couldn't answer. He goes. Ed Norton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's very funny. I have to go back and uh, and rewatch that. I think the and I just looked this up. The episode was actually called the ninety nine thousand uh, dollar answer. But it's funny that you mentioned that that uh, episode and that show because the Honeymooners, great show and really a classic. And it's one of those shows that you could watch still to this day, and it's just as funny as when it aired sixty years ago. But because there were a relatively few number of episodes, I think one season's worth, that is, yeah, that is potentially a category that you could become an expert in if you had only two weeks to study. You could become an expert in The Honeymooners by repeatedly Absolutely. watching the episodes over and over again and maybe reading some interviews and reading some books written by the, the cast. So that might be an interesting uh, answer to my question. Uh, thank and you for Frank, that. Oh, sorry, Jack. I didn't mean to disconnect you. I thought you were done. Oh, sorry about that. Call back if you want, Jack. 800-848-9222. Harry is in Huntington. Hello, Harry. Do you know where the $64,000 figure came from? I, I have no idea. Well, if you go back to the radio shows of the 30s, there was a $64 question quiz show. Oh, really? And inflation being what it was, by the 50s, it worked its way up to $64,000. you will see an old movie occasionally where a guy goes, boy, that's the $64 question. Oh. Or you see one even today where they say $64,000 question. And by the way, there was a show that tried to capitalize on that, the $100,000 question that came out shortly after that. Yeah, well, there were a bunch but of my, imitators of that. Of my that question to you is, uh, you probably saw the movie Quiz Show. Yes, I about did. About the scandals. Yeah. Was she involved in those scandals of giving the answers to the contestants? Uh, uh, no, no, at least not that we know about. And that's been pretty uh, that's been investigated pretty, pretty extensively, because I think somebody would have loved to have jammed her up and uh, claim that she was involved. But no, they apparently did extensive interviews with everybody involved. And there's no evidence at all that she ever got the answers uh, in advance. So I don't believe so. OK, thank you. Thank you. But I mean, look, I wasn't there. I don't know. I don't know. Dr. Joyce Brothers. I'm not going to vouch for her. uh her uh, credibility and integrity on game shows, yeah, never. But uh, but no, as far as we know, there's been no indication that she was implicated in that in that scandal at all. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Corey in Florida, if you're going to pick an expert that you have to become an expert in in two weeks, what would it be? Frank, I'd have to go with. Um... 
the Bill of Rights or the Ten Commandments? I think, um, okay, well, look, I I think those might be more complicated subjects than than you might think, right? Because in the case of the Bill of Rights, for instance, you're dealing with uh, 200 years of history, countless court cases brought about because of the Bill of Rights and all sorts of history that led to those amendments being uh, written the way they were and adopted in the first place. Now, in the case of the Ten Commandments, you have to deal with thousands of years thousands of history of years. that uh, that came about as a result of that. So I think those might be challenging. But look, you're right. It's a finite number. I had it's only an 10. Expert, right. And if I had an expert there and, like you said, sitting me down and, uh, you know, I could memorize all these things like I did with calculus and all this. I don't remember any of that anymore. However, you know, uh, but I, that's what I wanted to say. Um, also, Racker Report, awesome. Oh, thank you. I heard the last one with Victoria Gotti and um, uh, what was his name? Greg Scarpa. That one was awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you, Corey. They're all, they're all great. Thank you. You're very kind to mention That's that. Good. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, Curtis is now making his um, – his thing that he's Mr. Anti-Podcast, which I appreciate of a lot of what he's saying. One, because whenever Curtis rails against anything, it's just hilarious. And so I appreciate a lot of what he's saying. But even Mr. Anti-Podcast, you've heard of the Antichrist? Curtis is the Anti-Podcast, so, um, which is ironic because I think he's doing something like three podcasts. But anyway, um, only Nixon could go to China, right? And with a balloon, no less. So uh, he even remarked about how he is enjoying the racket report. And that's why a lot of times these knuckleheads that comment on social media, when I uh, post these links to the racket report, they all say, oh, what is your obsession? Not they all, but several. What's your obsession with the mob? You know, get a life, whatever, whatever. These interviews are not love letters to the mob. I mean, you're hearing from victims uh, you're hearing from prosecutors. You're hearing from judges. You're hearing from journalists. I would venture to say these these interviews are going to go down in history as the greatest chronicles of any of these incidents regarding mob history. But back to the question at hand. If you were going to pick a question, a, a category that you could really become an expert in in two weeks of study, what do you pick? I think U.S. presidents is doable. There's only 45 of them, right? And you could really learn everything about 45 people, and especially their administration, in a couple of weeks. Um, Matt Blaze says, foods that start with the letter Q. Corey says, the Ten Commandments or the Bill of Rights. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Johnny is in Garden City. Hello, Johnny. Frank, I grew up in Queens, and there's there a family not too far, a few houses away from me. They were a large family. Mother and father were both school teachers, very brainiac-type people. I was in school, this is in the 70s. I, I seen a mother on Match Game, you know, Match Game TV show, like, and they were on multiple shows over the years. And uh, in recent times, one of the older daughters made a movie about it, about this called Game Show Dynamos. And they're probably one of the long. I, I think the what I understand is the family itself were on so many shows from the 50s up to the 90s. 
uh, throughout their after all these periods of time, and, and she talked about the analytics had the uh, the networks like them because they're very smart. They represent a very family like you know uh, you know family type of people and so forth. But very interesting movie to watch. You can see you know probably on uh, online. Yeah. So, uh, so give me it again. It's called Game Show Dynamo. Game Show Dynamos. Yeah, plural. Yeah, this looks really Game interesting. Show. Actually, about yeah, Bernard and neighbor. Claire Boyko. Correct. These are my neighbors. I grew up with a younger daughter, but wild stuff, you know, and I never knew the depth of it, but it goes back to the 50s. But enjoy it. You, I think you got a kick out of it. I will check this out. Thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. All right. David um, tweeting, to anyone else on the face of the earth, a television program, if I was going to become an expert on a Jeopardy topic, I think I would pick Potent Potables. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, that's not bad. You know, the, I could see you being an expert in cocktails, for instance, after two weeks of study. My my Uncle Joe, I worked. I used to work for him in uh, his shoe repair shop, and he had gone to bartending school, and he bartended a little bit. He bartended really more after he left the shoe repair business, but he would have me quiz him on all these drinks. I would hold the recipe book, and I would say Manhattan, uh, Negroni, uh, you know, lime, uh, uh, gin, Ricky, uh, whatever, uh, Brandy Alexander, and uh, vodka stinger, and he would tell me the ingredients in each of these recipes. And you know, my uncle Joe's a bright guy, but he didn't have a photographic memory, so he w- only learned through repetition and by doing. So I think that's one that you could be an expert in two weeks. What do you think? If you had to become an expert in one subject, whatever it is, in two weeks, what would you pick? 800-848-9222. It also reminds me a little bit, and I, I hate to make everything a pop cultural reference, but there's this one episode of Friends, and I, I don't really, I, I'm not obsessed with Friends the way my sister is, the way my wife is. I watched it when it was on before Seinfeld. That was the extent of my Friends knowledge. And I, I, I watch the reruns now, and unlike Seinfeld, unlike The Honeymooners, unlike uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I really don't think the humor holds up. I watch it now because my wife likes it. I mean, it's on, and I really don't find it that funny. But there was this one episode of uh, Friends where Joey buys, he, you know, he's tired of being mocked as the dumb one in his group, and he can only afford to buy one book of the Encyclopedia Britannica. So he buys V, and he becomes an expert in anything that has to do with the letter V. And forget about it. He's bringing up Vesuvius. He's bringing up the Vietnam War. But then when it goes to other subjects, when they when he brings up the Vietnam War and then somebody else brings up the Korean War, he's just he's just as dumb as he normally is. It's actually an amusing episode. But, uh, you know, let's say what's your letter V? What's your potent potables? What's your Dr. Joyce Brothers category? 800-848-9222. open lines if you want to comment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger, dogs in the moonlight. Far away. 
much away from me, you know. I don't find this stuff amusing anymore. If you be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty, Betty, when you call me, you can call me out. You can call me out, Paul Simon. This was a uh, selection by Ryan McCormick, the PR impresario, whose birthday was on February on uh, February first or January thirty first, actually. But uh, he did not get me his song selections in time, but he did make some good song selections. So here we are. Uh, I love this song. I really, I really do. And if you've ever seen the music video of this song with uh, Chevy Chase, it's very funny. You know, you watch that video, and it's you see what a genius, especially when it came to physical expressionism, Chevy Chase was. And it's funny. Maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but uh, I'm a fan of Chevy Chase's work. Not as a person, and the things I've heard about him as a person are not, not great, honestly. But I'm a big fan of his work. And you know that television show, that uh, talk show that he had that everybody hated and made fun of and that flopped? I watched it. I liked it. I thought it was a decent talk show. But um, really shouldn't say this. All right, I'll say. So I'm, I've been talking with the people that are doing this William Shatner tour. And they're, I had one conversation with them. And... Um, because they could tell that I was already very prepared for this, right? And so they said, they're just kind of giving me the run of show. And they're saying, you're going to see this guy, William Shatner, who's a month shy of 92 when you're going to be on stage with him. You're going to see a guy that has more energy than anyone you've ever met. And you're going to see a guy that is so mentally sharp that you're going to be absolutely amazed. So, and then these folks said that that they did a similar Q&A, live Q&A with Chevy Chase recently. And they said that Chevy Chase was so disappointing and that they, and he was so bad, quite frankly, and so out of it that most of the people at the show, and I'm not saying this, but this is what I heard, most of the people at the show thought that Chevy Chase was on the verge of Alzheimer's or some sort of severe dementia. And if that's the case, it is a shame because here was a guy that was so vibrant and such an incredible entertainer. And now I, I'm not saying he has dementia, but the fact that people could watch him just answer questions and think that he has dementia is uh, certainly really, really disappointing, really disappointing. And uh, obviously we wish him the best. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. We were talking about uh, Dr. Joyce Brothers. She became an expert on boxing, even though she wasn't. She made herself an expert in boxing in a matter of a short period of time. If you were to go on a television show and you had to pick one subject area of expertise, what would it be? 800-848-9222. Larry in Brooklyn, what do you have for us? Frank, truthfully, I would choose the uh, subject of sex. Really? Because if you think about it, most of us participate in it, and that jumps out. That gives us a, a big head start. You know, I used to I used to listen to Doctor Ruth, and she used to talk about. You know, she's a doctor, PhD. She used to talk about things like premonitory sensation. 
And I say, oh, I get it. You know, like real quick. It was it was a no-brainer. I understand what that means. All right. Well, but, yeah, Larry, I think that might be a more – thank you. I think it might be a more complicated subject, even though everybody does it. It might be a more complicated subject than – you realize, right? Because there are all these different methods. You got to know about tantric sex. You got to know about Kama Sutra. Are you really an expert in all those things? I suspect not, right? You got to know about a lot of. It's it's a lot. It's about a lot more than having sex, right? You got to know about the history and the cultural implications. It's like baseball, right? If you were to take a baseball player, professional baseball player. Just because he's he's good at baseball doesn't mean he'd be great at baseball trivia. In fact, chances are he's not. But it's neither here nor there. Hey, I did want to mention um I did want to mention this. You know, this is a story that we'd been following closely, and I know especially our audience on WCBM in Baltimore has been following this, and that's the story of Adnan Syed. That's the fellow that was freed in the aftermath of the serial podcast. Well, there's a chance that Adnan Syed could end up back in prison. So the protracted legal odyssey of Adnan Syed, whose murder case rose to prominence through this hit podcast, Serial, marked its latest development on Thursday when a Maryland appeals court considered whether the victim's family experienced improper treatment when a Baltimore court overturned Syed's conviction last year, allowing his release after more than two decades behind bars. So the appellate court of Maryland is going to issue a ruling on this within the next 90 days. The surviving relatives of Hay Min Lee, Syed's ex-girlfriend and high school classmate, who was strangled to death and found buried in a makeshift grave in 1999, they contend that their rights were violated because they didn't receive enough notice about the court hearing that won Syed his freedom. So they requested a redo of the September hearing, which would likely require reinstating Syed's conviction to allow Lee's brother a meaningful opportunity to participate. First of all, this says so much about the incompetence of the prosecutors in Maryland. I mean, the the, the state's attorney in Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby, she and her husband are all in all sorts of trouble themselves. She herself is, I believe, let me make sure that this is the case before I say it, but I believe um, she herself is under indictment. Yeah, she is. She's facing a, uh, a federal perjury indictment, among other things. So how incompetent do you have to be to not say, hey, by the way, family of murder victim, the guy that was convicted of your loved one's murder, we're about to let that person out. Uh, we thought we'd let you know first. I mean, what is going on over there? So the answer to the family's request could have significant implications both for Syed's future and more broadly for the role of crime victims in the Maryland court system. Because it's going to be very interesting. Very interesting. So the attorney for the family, David Sanford, said, we're not on a campaign to have Adnan Syed put back in jail. This is about respecting victims and their representatives. It's absolutely right. You know, I I had a very close friend who was murdered. And, you know, there are whenever there's a prosecution, there are 
plea talks, plea negotiations. And so before the DA's office, in the case of my friend, would offer a plea to the defendant, they would talk to the family and say, look, we're thinking of offering him a plea deal. It might might be 20 years to life, might be 25 years to life. Just want to make sure you're okay with this before we go forward with it. They'd have conversation. It's so important to do that because um, otherwise it has all sorts of disastrous implications. Even my, I hate to mention, give him this much free publicity, but my friend Curtis Lewa, he was a shooting victim. And there was a, a trial in which the people that allegedly ordered his kidnapping and assault and one person that actually participated in the shooting were put on trial. And twice there were indictments in that case, and they didn't even tell Curtis. And Curtis then went on the radio and railed against the FBI. And I can tell you, as somebody that followed that case very closely, Curtis's constant criticism of the FBI did not help the prosecution's case in the least. So had they just done the kind of the polite thing and the gentlemanly thing and clued Curtis in, it would have gone much smoother for them. Same thing with Adnan Syed. You can't free someone that the family is told is your loved one's killer and not tell the family first. Not how this is supposed to go. Chalk one up for the incompetence of the Maryland prosecutors once again. 800-848-9222. We have a... First timer. We're sorry. Let me say hello to Claude in Baltimore. Hello, Claude. Hey, my friend. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Thank you. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. I'm a former police officer, and I think that Edmund Syed, or whatever his name is, is innocent based on what I know of the case. There's very circumstantial evidence. There's nothing really to link him to the crime. No DNA, nothing. Well, and, all the more reason, Claude, and I haven't followed the case, the case as closely as you, you have, but my, my reading of it is similar. I think there is a pretty good chance that he's not guilty. All the more reason that the prosecutors should have clued the family in and let them participate well, in this hearing. Well, first of all, the police department should have did a little bit of better investigation. Oh, no, he, I would agree with that as well. And Marlon Mosby is the worst for the Baltimore Police Department ever because a lot of my friends are still on the job and they're afraid to make an arrest out here. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you some good things, though. I'm, there's a veterans benefit show that comes on WCBM, which is your sister station, right? Absolutely. Proud to be on there every day. And me and the veterans benefit guy. Matter of fact, if you Google my name, it says homeless. A man with an ambulance helps homeless. Well, I had an ambulance at one time, and I'm working with the Veterans Benefit Show to get another one donated to me some way, somehow. I don't know if anybody can help me do it, but I went around Baltimore, and I fed our homeless people, and I want to help our homeless vets get some kind of counseling or whatever and try to get them back in a home. Because as I go out here every day and see this from being a cop and whatever, it's terrible, and nobody should be hungry or homeless out here. I know a lot of people are on drugs and they have problems and we need to talk to these homeless veterans and get them some counseling. And another thing is Frank, that they've 
let these damn nuts loose out of the nut houses. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, look, I think, and Claude, thank you for the call. Thank you for listening. And I, I applaud your um, your passion for taking care of uh, veterans and homeless veterans specifically. I wish, uh, I wish uh, the government would do as good of a job as you're doing. Thank you, Claude. But I, I think it's important to keep in mind what we're talking about when we talk about mentally ill people, right? Mentally ill people are sick. And the fact is, if they're not medicated and not treated properly, yes, they're going to go out and commit crimes, in some cases violent crimes. Also, they may end up homeless, right? So I don't think the the best thing to do is to demonize uh, prosecutors for and, and and in the manner that you're doing it by saying, oh, they let all the nuts out on the street. I think the the truth is a little more nuanced. The truth is that there are severely, and I agree with this premise, there are severely mentally ill people out on the street that belong either in an institution or making sure that they get their medication through something like Kendra's Law. And because they're not being treated adequately, they're in a position to commit crimes. And that's our fault as a society. That's not, uh, I mean, look, if someone has um, the uh, flu, you can't blame them for getting the flu. The mental illness is the same thing, although it's not contagious necessarily. 800-848-9222. John is on Long Island. Hello, John. Hello, Frank. Uh, It's great to be talking with you again. I was a fellow who originally called you and uh, tipped you off about uh, about um, William Shatner appearing at the uh, at the show in Red Bank. Yes, to. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the reason why I was calling uh, two things uh, back in the seven, I think it was in the seventies. I happen to be a Star Trek fan, but I'm not, you know, too swift on all the, you know, it's it's far in the past. But I still love Shatner and the whole space program and all. And I was always very interested in that. And the thing is, back in the uh, sometime in the seventies. I went to a show at Madison Square Garden and went to see Elton John. I was with my buddy, and I don't know him anymore. So I'm 69. I'm up there. So I'm a senior. I'm an old-school Italian. You know, I do everything on a handshake. I'm very respectful. I don't have family. I live alone. And I actually live in a, I live in a NYCHA building on Long Island. I'm pretty poor. I'm poor luck. And uh, I, I have Medicaid, but uh, my health isn't that great. But I love listening to your show, and what I want to tell you, I was at the garden, and I wanted to get a beer. The concert, the Elton had just hit the stage. And I was coming back with my beer, and right on the side of the stage, who's sitting there? Leonard Nimoy, Spock. Oh, you're kidding. Okay. Yeah, and, I, and actually, I put my beer on the ledge. He was sitting there with, a, with his girlfriend or his wife. I didn't know who it was at the time. And I asked him for his autograph, and I called him Spock because I, I was a young lad sure. back then. So he said, Spock, Spock, can I have your autograph? And he goes, no, no, not now. And I said, oh, please, come on. I'm a big fan of the show. And he says, oh, well, okay, okay. So he gave me his autograph. And I was thrilled to death that I got, I, I actually met him. I always wanted to see um, a million shots. But, I, you know, I, I'm, I, my, my, I haven't had a running car now for many, many months. So through poor luck, I wound up in a nature building. I wound up homeless in 2020 when homeless when uh, COVID started. Oh, sorry so, to hear that. Uh, so, so what I'm hoping for is, uh, you know, I'm a big, I, I like going to, I used to, when I was younger, go to a lot of shows. And this is also information that nobody in the New York metropolitan area has right now. 
I'm hoping to get well. I have a problem where I listen to a holistic doctor on Tuesday mornings on Long Island. And he has a program where he tells you you can get well. Now, my Medicare will cover that. And I also am hoping to get well enough because in mid-March, this is top-secret concert information, Rolling Stones are coming into the U.S. for the 60th anniversary. It's actually the 61st year. And on July 26th, Mick Jagger is going to be 80. And I happen to like my favorite band. Wow. And I was hoping, yeah, and they're going to play, from what I understand, through the, this is not anywhere, is they're going to play two nights in MetLife Stadium, possibly two there, two at the UBS Arena, the new arena on Long Island, and Madison Square Garden. It's going to be a combination. And it may be the last tour ever. And I'm a huge fan of, of, of I went to a lot of things in my life when I was younger, concerts, events, Muhammad Ali show, but I'm poor. I'm absolutely poor living in this. I'm living in a Catholic NYCHA building on Long Island, and I don't have any family at all. I, I And I was wondering if somehow maybe you guys could help set, set up a, a GoFundMe page to help me out so I can get to see my a holistic doctor to get well enough to see the Rolling Stones this summer. The, the tour is going to be in June and July. John, how uh, much? Uh, how much are you looking to raise? Uh, you know, a couple of grand. You know, uh, you know, maybe you know, you know, a couple of grand. Just, I, I, I have a, a 1995 uh, uh, a Roadmaster car. Yeah, that's been broken for a long time, and uh, I, I got sick from living out in like I was never a sick person as I did. You know, I was always walking a lot. I was I was heavy set. I lost seventy five pounds. Well, that's great, John. Wanted, that's great, yeah, yeah, John. I, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on hold. Uh, give Kenneth your information. So I I I can't start a GoFundMe for you, and the station can't start a GoFundMe for you because there's some specific liability problems that we have in terms of uh, all sorts of things. Um, so I don't think that's something the station is able to do, and it's not something that I'm able to do because uh, for a variety of reasons, right? And uh, liability issues, etc. I can't vet everything that you're saying. Uh, the station can't investigate, it, and so we can't then ask people for money unless it's going to a registered 501c3 or something like that. However, in the case of a similar uh, listener, David. You know, uh, another listener came forward and started to go fund me. So take John's information, and if any listener out there, I'm not saying to do this, but if any listener out there wants to start a GoFundMe for uh, John, then go ahead and do it, and we will uh, connect you with John to help him get the kind of care that he needs. Obviously, John sounds very sincere, and he's going through a tough time. One of the things that I've wanted to do on this show, and I'm hoping we can put this together, is to do a weekly or maybe even a monthly Queen for a Day segment where people basically talk about the problems they're experiencing, the hardships they're having, and we give them some sort of prize for whoever whoever has the most compelling story. But if anybody wants to help John out uh, by starting a GoFundMe, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and I'll connect you with John and that will be on you. I'm going to and it will be on you to do that. But I, we can't as a station or a network do that uh, ourselves. So but if anybody else wants to do that out there, and that's my other fear is, is that if we if we end up doing this, if I did one, then you could have a, a bunch of listeners calling in every day asking for this same situation. So um, and David, when he was describing his issues, you know, he never asked for that. You know, one a listener just volunteered to do it on their own. So if somebody wants to do it on their own, 
They're certainly welcome to, and I'll give you John's contact information. I'll let you guys take it from there. All right, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. singing Interstate Love Song. A big shout-out to all the drivers listening to us right now, driving on the interstate. But um, this is a selection for a friend of mine whose birthday it is today, Kyle O'Brien. Kyle is one of my oldest friends and one of my closest friends. He is the only friend I have that I could bring in any environment and have brought in any environment politicians, gangsters, bar flies, radio executives, and he fits right in in any environment. And he's universally liked. And if you ever spend time with Kyle, he's a big club promoter, bar owner, uh, owns restaurants. He's one of the owners of Williamsburg Pizza. You can instantly tell why everybody likes him because the guy has got to be the most charismatic person uh, I've ever met, a great guy and a good friend. Brilliant storyteller, and not only is he a good storyteller, but he's had uh, the kind of experiences that you can't duplicate. And he's a wonderful guy, and I'm wishing him a very happy birthday. So um, we're gonna we'll get into uh, we'll we'll see if we can get Kyle on the show one day this week because that guy is a character. So if you find uh, Kyle O'Brien on Instagram or on Facebook, it's Kyle Francis O'Brien, um, as his friends call him. Uh, that be sure to wish him a happy birthday. All right, eight hundred. His uh, on Instagram, his uh, handle is the. Oh no, it's not the Kyle O'Brien. I don't know what his handle is, but it, you'll find uh, Kyle Ob. I believe it is something along those lines. Uh, actually, that's not a video. Well, whatever. You'll find it. Until next hour, your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're about to do commendations in just a moment. Now, I basically, I spend the whole week putting together this commendation list. And uh, I think about something interesting to say. I, I, I very carefully curate the stories. But there's one integral part of this that uh, Kenneth and or Alex Barnard do every week, which is they print the articles. And what that allows me to do is just to turn the page, right? So I already know what I want to say, but I can just turn the page, read a few facts, go to the ne- give you my comment, go to the next page. It's very, it's really simple but efficient system, but it's dependent upon these guys printing out the stories. When they print it out, it's foolproof. Now today, not only did they print it out, but they stapled it, which is great, which is great. So in the office that I work in prior to... It's not an office. It's a studio. It's the neighboring studio. Heaven forbid I should have a desk. But in the neighboring studio that I work in, and I prefer it that way. I'd like to be mobile. Um, In the neighboring studio that I work in, Curtis, who's on for 40 hours on the weekend, he has all his stuff spread out where he does his impersonation of Vladimir Putin marching into first Crimea and then the Donbass region and then y- Ukraine east of the <laughs> the Dnieper River. And he just spreads out, takes over the whole studio with newspapers, papers of his own, uh, notes in that trademark Sharpie marker that he writes out all these notes in. And you got to see these notes. I mean, these notes are, they're like what a five-year-old would write out. You know, I mean, it's really something, but whatever, it works for him. I'm not judging him. So they're all over the place. So I've got my little, small little stack of newspapers and a tiny little, tiny little stack of seven articles, literally seven articles. And they're all stacked neatly. (laughs) So I go in there just now at the top of the hour to grab my tiny little stack of articles. And Curtis has taken them. And I can't question him. He's disappeared. I don't know where he is. But the one time that I wish this guy was around, he's not sleeping next door. He's gone. Now, not gone before he managed to steal my articles. So then I'm having to comb through. And I'm figuring what happened here. Curtis was trying to do the diligent thing and clean up all of his articles and all his papers and not only did he take my newspapers, but wow. he, which is fine. Okay, you know, I'm not, not going to read them again, but fine, you could take them. But he's taken my tiny little stack of articles and buried them with his, within his seven stacks. So fortunately, <laughs> because I know Curtis's highlighting methodology, I was able to find the one unhighlighted group of articles and take them out. Now, I can't say with certitude that he didn't, take an article or two out of here in a deliberate act of sabotage. But uh, let's hope this works out. You'll hear in a moment. By the way, thank you. Yes. Uh, By the way, a number of you expressing a lot of concern, wanting to wish uh, Kyle O'Brien a happy birthday. He's not a big Facebook person, but he is on Instagram. And if you want to find him on Instagram, his handle, I did confirm this is Kyle F. O'Brien, Kyle F. O'Brien. Kyle F O B R I E N. It is his birthday. It is a banner day in the history of. Uh, if you know Kyle, you know what a big day this should be. This really should be a national holiday. 
do you want to know how you can know for sure that you've discovered Kyle's Instagram handle? Because even though his handle is Kyle F. O'Brien, underneath his picture, it doesn't say his real name. You know what it says? Underneath his picture, which has him in a captain's hat, it says, of course, because this is how cool Kyle is, Bob Dabalina. That is how you know you have found Kyle O'Brien. Look for the profile that says Bob Dabalina. All right, uh, 800-848-9222. Six open lines. We will take your calls on any subject immediately after. The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must give a commendation to Yale University. Uh, They're doing something very important here. They are taking their most popular class and making it available for free for teenagers. What is their most popular class? It's all about happiness. And uh, Lori Santos is a psychology professor at Yale, and this is their most popular course, and it's the science of well-being for teens. It was developed to address rising rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide rates for children between 9th and 12th grade. And you can now, if you're a teenager, see these lectures for free. And this is such an important class for teens to see. And so I am commending not only Yale, but Lori Santos for doing this. Lesson number one, she preaches in one of the course's pre-recorded lectures, our brains lie to us about what makes us happy. So important. So important. She told CNBC, this is a quote, for adults, this may mean pursuing money or success at work. And for teens, this might mean focusing on the perfect grades and getting into the best colleges. The problem isn't that we're not putting work into feeling better. It's that we're doing the wrong things, prioritizing the wrong behaviors. It's so important. And look, um, I know some people criticize that I have Jeffrey Gurian on the show so often because some of what he says is repetitive. And maybe that's a fair criticism. But the reason I do is because he's the only real expert when it comes to happiness that I know. And this is such an important thing. People are putting the wrong energies into this. And maybe we can have Lori Santos on this show because I think what she is doing and I think what Yale is doing in making this course available for free for people is just so important. And uh, I, I give them both a great deal of credit. I must also commend Lynn Cressy. Lynn Cressy is a barber in Maine, and she is giving haircuts away for free to people who can't pay. So for anyone short a few bucks in Brunswick, Maine, you can go to a little off-the-top barber shop, and uh, Lynn Cressy will make sure that this doesn't turn into a hairy situation. The sign in the front of her barbershop says, I'll work with you. In September, she added a note to the sign beneath the hair and beard cut prices. It said, if this creates a hardship for you, please let me know. Nobody will be turned away for lack of ability to pay. I think this is great. Her customers, many of whom are retired or military, come from all sorts of situations. That might be on fixed incomes, out of work, disabled, or simply going through a rough patch. You know, We've talked to David in the Bronx, formerly David in Huntington. We talked to John out on Long Island. Those are both guys that have uh, hit upon some bad luck. If they lived in Maine, they could get haircuts for free. And I think that's great. I think that's a wonderful thing, a great way to give back. I also uh, love 
what the students at one Tennessee school are doing. The students at Hendersonville High School are building, are creating a robotic hand for their new classmate. This is wonderful. Starting at a new school this year, 15-year-old Sergio Peralta had all the typical teenage reasons to be nervous. He was also trying to keep a secret. A hand that was not fully formed. So in the first days of school, he said, I honestly felt like hiding my hand, like nobody would ever find out. Instead, a teacher at his school learned about a secret and assigned his engineering class a project, Build Sergio a Hand. Sergio was born with a right hand that didn't fully form, and he'd become used to it. He learned to write with his left hand, and he said he could get by with nearly everything else, figuring out techniques for basic tasks like carrying his water bottle from class to class. But this suggestion from his classmates at his school came as a very happy surprise, and they ended up offering it to him. They said, we could build your prosthetic hand, and he never expected it. So Jeff Wilkins' class, Engineering, Design, and Development, they were designed to take the theoretical and turned it into reality. And now, Sergio's robotic hand is a testament to the students that they have there at Henderson, Hendersonville High School who care about each other and the program that Jeff Wilkins has built. So this small class of students spent four weeks designing, 3D printing, and sizing this prototype of Sergio's hand. And after a month of work, they put his hand to test with a game of catch, a hobby that he never dreamed of playing. And after living without a hand for 15 years, they actually offered this hand. I mean, in the words of Sergio, this changed his life. And it's all due to this one teacher... Jeff Wilkins and his students. And the best part about this, and the, the part that almost I, I almost get weepy talking about this or you know thinking about this, is the students said they became friends in the process, which is something that may not have happened had they not uh, embarked on this project and offered him this robotic hand. I think it's really just such a, a beautiful story. And a big shout-out not only to the students here, but to our listeners listening on WUCT. In, uh, in Nashville. Uh, it's a great state. Great state, Tennessee is. Um, commendation to all those students. I also want to give a commendation to Josiah Vargas. You know who Josiah Vargas is? He's a better man than I am. I don't know that I would behave this way. Well, you know why I wouldn't be in this position? Because I don't go to McDonald's. But if I did go to McDonald's, I don't think I would behave this way. I'd like to think that I would, but I don't know. Listen to this. This is a genuine Good Samaritan. He went to a McDonald's in Indiana, and he received much more than he ordered. So he basically, he ordered a sausage McMuffin with egg from the drive-thru. And when he looked inside the bag the worker handed him, he found their deposit. After showing some of the contents of the bag on this TikTok video that he made, there was not there was stacks of bills and change assorted in individual Ziploc bags. They handed him $5,000 in cash instead of his breakfast sandwich. So he took to TikTok to share his discovery 
knowing that he could easily take the money and leave the McDonald's workers in quite a bind. You know what he did? He went back to McDonald's and returned it right away. Good for him. That's a good man and a good Samaritan. Wonderful. Uh, I give a commendation to Josiah Vargas. I must also give a commendation uh, to one of my coworkers here at the Red Apple Audio Network and someone that's really been integral to the success and the growth of this show uh, over the course of the last uh, two and a half years. And that is Jennifer Grodd, who wears a lot of hats at our radio station and our radio network. She is the guest booker, not just for me, but for all the shows here. And she has been able to deliver, as a guest booker, the kind of guests that I never dreamed of interviewing. And uh, she's also such a good sport about it. And she's also just such a nice person. But she's also a board op. She also does regular reports on James Golden's show. She does um, news reports from time to time and entertainment reports. She does everything. Uh, and she edits audio. She's been a phone screener here. She's really a an incredible radio talent. And I'll, remember, I'll never forget the first time I interviewed Steve Gutenberg. Uh, he said to me, off air, says, you know, this Jennifer you got here is really going to be something incredible. And I said, she already is. Because you need to only interact with Jennifer Grodd once. And you immediately are struck by the fact that she's not only very competent and very good at her job, but a very nice person. And a lot of times those com- those combinations don't always go hand in hand. There are a lot of people that are very good at their job and not such nice people. A lot of people that are very nice people, but they're not so good at their job. Uh, Jennifer is aces in both categories. Well, Friday night, I was going to my brother's and dinner, uh, uh, my brother's for for dinner in Brooklyn, and I got a uh, what I for selfish reasons, was a very disturbing phone call. And she told me that um, she had gotten another job and was leaving. And uh, I think this is her last week, and uh, I don't know where she's going to be working. I think it's in television somewhere. But I'm happy for her because I'm sure she's getting a big raise, and and she certainly deserves to make a lot of money because she's a great broadcast professional and a broadcast talent. But really, I have to tell you, I'm incredibly sad uh, because she's really become a member of our family. Other than um, Matt, Kenneth, and uh, what's his name? Alex, I think, who works here. Um, she has really done the most for our show, of, uh, other than John Katsimatidis, of anybody that works here. And uh, we're really going to miss her and hope, I mean, I was going to say she has big shoes to fill, but you can't fill her shoes. She is incredible. An incredible person, and I'm going to really miss her. And uh, for a job well done, not only for our show, but for all the shows, I'm giving Jennifer Grodd a sincere commendation. I must also give a commendation to the YouTuber, Mr. Beast. I have to tell you, I had never heard of Mr. Beast, but apparently he's a big deal on YouTube. There's all these people that are huge stars on YouTube, and I have no idea who any of them are. Mr. Beast is one of these guys. And uh, he's a 24-year-old whose real name is Jimmy Donaldson. And he is one of the highest-earning creators on YouTube with a record-breaking 131 million subscribers. By the way, if you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, I think it's uh, I think you just search Frank Morano or Morano Vision and hit the subscribe button. 
and hopefully we'll get to 131 million. I think we have about 131 at the time, at the time of this broadcast. So this guy, he paid for 1,000 people with blindness and low vision to get cataract surgery. And he, he made a video about it. And when I read about this, I thought, one, I think, I think that's terrible that if people don't have the money, they can't get surgery that's going to help them um, see. You would think that that might be the kind of thing that everybody might be entitled to, but okay. In the way that we do healthcare, fine. That's not the way we do it. This guy paid for a thousand people to see. Now, that is incredibly admirable. And I know that a big part of the reason was he wanted attention and he wanted to be talked about and he wanted uh, to make a video that a lot of people would see. And lo and behold, he is being criticized like crazy. People are calling this demonic. People are saying that um, this is, one person expressed her shock um, that, Mr., that Mr. Beast would do this. Uh, I mean, if you watch these videos, it's incredible. One woman screamed and fell to the ground. He ma- Another fella, Mr. Beast made sure a man's son was the first thing he saw after the operation. The YouTuber sub- surprised another guy who said he'd missed driving after his vision became blurry with a new Tesla. This is incredible. And yet, people are killing him over this. They're accusing him of using disabled people and people with low incomes to generate views and likening his video to charity porn. Charity porn. Another fella, there's something so demonic about this, and I can't even articulate what it is. Another person, Mr. Beast has been making exploitive content for a while now. He uses vulnerable and desperate people for content. Doesn't make him a good person for making that happen. What planet are these people on? Let me tell you something. David from the Bronx, who's blind, if somebody said to him, hey, you know what, you can have your sight back again as long as I can make a YouTube video about it, what do you think he'd say? John from Long Island, who's trying to get $2,000 for a holistic healer, if if somebody said to him, you know, we're going to pay for your medical bills for this holistic healer, as long as I get to make this YouTube video about it and get publicity, what do you think he'd say? God bless Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is filling a gap that our um, money-only healthcare system, which if you don't have the right insurance, tells you essentially to go scratch. Mr. Beast should be commended, not just by me, but by everybody. Certainly not called demonic. When someone does a good deed, and this is a good deed any way you calculate it, helping a thousand people to see... Getting a thousand people the kind of surgery which will change their life for the better that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford? I don't care why you're doing it. Whether you're doing, when you do something good in my book, whether you're doing it because you're motivated by altruism or whether you're doing it because you're motivated entirely by narcissism and self interest, I don't care at all. And I suspect a thousand people that can now see, and this guy that got to see his son for the first time, I suspect that they don't care either. We should reward deeds, not motivation, uh, when it comes to committing crimes or doing good deeds. This, to me, I I think is wonderful. And I am giving Mr. Beast a 
full-throated commendation. And for these people that are out there criticizing this, they should go suck an egg. Let me give a commendation to Delta. Delta Airlines. Yes, Delta Airlines is now going to be launching free in-flight Wi-Fi. I love this. This is great news. I uh, recently, I have to go to a bachelor party in Atlanta in uh, April. And I think uh, I made the decision to book my flight on Delta Airlines solely for this reason, for the free Wi-Fi. I love to sleep on airplanes, but when I'm awake, I would enjoy some free Wi-Fi. I think it's terrible that airlines, with the exception of, I think, JetBlue, don't offer the free Wi-Fi. Good for you, Delta Airlines. Happy for you. I must also give a commendation to Shohei Otani. If you're a, a fan, if you're alive right now, you should really be paying attention to Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is a once-in-a-generation superstar. Essentially, you know how maybe when you were a kid, you might have asked your father or your grandfather or your uncle, hey, did you ever get to see Babe Ruth play? 40, 50 years from now, people will be asking folks that are alive right now, did you see Shohei Otani play? Imagine being one of the best pitchers in baseball and one of the best hitters in baseball. And that's what you have with Shohei Otani. And that's one of the reasons um, that I'm commending him. Because brands are recognizing that he is a once-in-a-generation, not once-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime player. He is now the number one endorsement king in baseball. The 28-year-old Japanese sensation just signed a multi-year footwear and apparel deal with New Balance. And he ended his partnership with the other shoe company that he was with. His first campaign will be for a limited edition cleat in the same style as New Balance's classic 574 sneaker. Otani's unique brilliance and global appeal have made him the most marketable star in the history of Major League Baseball. He has, last year, he had 17 brand endorsements. That shattered the record for most in a single season. Just to give you some perspective, Aaron Judge, who's hitting home runs like crazy, he had 13 in 2021. Those endorsements, these Otani endorsements, these 17 brands, earned him $20 million. That's more than three times as the next highest off-field earner. And his team is benefiting as well. 22 Japanese brands paid for signs at Angel Stadium last season. Those endorsements, I'm sure, will pale in comparison to Otani's next contract, some people believe he could be the first person to reach to achieve a $500 million deal when he becomes a free agent next year. I, if, the, if the Mets had the opportunity to sign him, they should offer him a billion dollars. But um, I like to see this because so often you hear about nice guys finishing last and people that don't earn what, don't deserve what they're getting. And in the case of Shohei Otani, it's great to see that uh, brands are recognizing, both in the United States and in Japan, his incredible once-in-a-lifetime prowess. So, Shohei Atani, I do commend you. I must also commend a gentleman that I've been critical of from time to time, and that is the mayor of Atlantic City, Marty Small Sr. So, Marty Small Sr. Um, saved the life 
of a 78-year-old Philadelphia woman. So um, there was this woman by the name of Susan Seagal Bonavitacala. And uh, this is what the mayor wrote on Instagram. So Sunday at the Eagles game, and she's basically corroborated this, I I did a thing. As everyone entered the stadium, it was really a dangerous situation that had everyone stuck. And I saw an older lady and her husband in distress. Now, this was an athlete. Marty Small played basketball at Stockton University, but not football. And he did his best blocking, and he said he told Seagal Bonavitacola and her husband to hold on tight to me and don't let go. And they navigated through the crowd, and he yelled at the top of his young lungs, move out of the way, I have an older lady with me. And it took 15 minutes to break away, but, but they made it through. So this woman said in an interview that the mayor of Atlantic City was her angel. This is a five foot two woman, 78 years old, with a hip replacement. And she said the crush of people at the top of the escalator made her fear for her life. She had purchased a parking pass where the mayor was tailgating. And she wasn't expecting it to be a tailgate lot. And uh, this was at the Eagles game. And she said that she got pushed up against the mayor's chest and he then took charge. He's a six foot five guy. He's a big guy. So um, it's uh, really a nice thing. He she said, quote, I'm telling you, I was so scared. I really thought something really bad was about to happen. She said she asked him who he was. And that when they were finally clear of the crush, he said, well, I'm the mayor of Atlantic City. I said, you're my hero. I hugged him and I kissed him, and we both said, go birds. So uh, she contacted the mayor's office a few days later, later, and the mayor was greeted with a cookie tray and a note of thanks. Dear Mayor Small, thank you for saving my life at the Eagles game. I wouldn't be here if you hadn't stepped in. Bottom line, the mayor said, is always be helpful to people. That's nice. So this is a woman that almost got crushed <laughs> at this Eagles game. And then finally, I will commend uh, all of the Grammy winners. Last night was the Grammys. I didn't watch any of it, but uh, it's tough to win a Grammy. So uh, Harry Styles, uh, Samara Joy, uh, Lizzo with her song About Damn Time, Bonnie Raitt with the song Just Like That, uh, Adele, Easy On Me, Beyonce Knowles for Renaissance, Kendrick Lamar, Bad Bunny, and uh, everyone else that won. Willie Nelson, who won for Best Country Album. Uh, all everyone else that won, uh, Harry Styles and Beyonce, they won multiple awards. Commendation to everybody involved. All right. Uh, with a, if you have a comment on anybody I have commended, be my guest. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. open lines. We'll take your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Mr. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Mr. Dabalina. Uh People forgot all about this song until Matt Blaze rediscovered it, and we commend him for that. Now, um, most people agree this is the greatest song of all time. 
And um, if you go on Instagram and wish Kyle F. O'Brien a uh, <laughs> a uh, a uh, happy birthday today, then you will be able to see his moniker, which is Mr. Bob Dabalina. Now, I am on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. And uh, Brooklyn Johnny and you, uh, you t- tweets at me, Frank Morano, Frank, is your shout-out to Kyle F. O'Brien another example of your penchant for nepotism in your commendations? Is he related to Rachel O'Brien Morano? Uh, Rachel is my wife. You know, it's so funny that he said that. I had forgotten momentarily that they share a last name. No. Yeah, I would have said this is my brother-in-law. I have no problem giving a commendation to my brother-in-law. In fact, I should have because yesterday was my brother-in-law Adam's birthday. I should have given him a commendation as well, but I, I failed to do so. But anyway, um, the his 30th birthday, no less, a milestone. One of the eight siblings my uh, wife has. But Kyle is not one. But I'll tell you what. So Kyle was one of my groomsmen when we got married. And, um, you know, when you take pictures at a wedding, you take all these combinations. You take pictures with uh, the groom's parents, the bride's parents, take pictures with the groom's siblings and parents, the uh, the bride's siblings and parents. So (laughs) I always pretend that Kyle is a sibling or a cousin of my wife, even though he's not. There's no relation. So when it came time to take a photo with my wife's family, uh, all eight of her siblings were up there. It was the first time in years that all nine of them were together. So all eight of them were up there, including my uh, brother-in-law, James, my sister-in-law, Natalie. And I said to Kyle, you got to get in the picture because Ky- Kyle O'Brien is named O'Brien, which is all th- their last name. And half of them didn't get why why it was that Kyle was being asked to be in the picture. So no, he is not related. But if you go back and look at the at the uh, photos that Kyle shared on Instagram from when we were married in September of 2019, Kyle, in the very clever way that he does, he said he had a picture of himself with Rachel and me, and he said uh, the the hashtag was two O'Briens and a Morano, or is it two Moranos and an O'Brien, which I thought was very, very clever. Uh, Big shout-out as well. Speaking of the Carolinas and uh, all these places that have to deal with uh, Chinese balloons, one who... uh, want to give a shout out to Sean Enright, who sends me an SMS text message and says, the only good thing about getting up for a 5 a.m. flight to Kona, live Frank. Well, I can't argue with you there, Sean. Have fun in Kona. We should all be so lucky. Hopefully you're taking your uh, longtime companion, uh, Sheila Morgan. And if you're taking somebody else other than Sheila Morgan, hopefully Sheila's not listening to this program. All right. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Uh, That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. John <laughs> tweets at me, and this is very funny. I don't know John's politics, uh, although I can guess what they are, but this is funny, irrespective of what your politics are, because I, I like cleverness. Shooting down that balloon was the first thing Biden has done to combat inflation. It's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, all right. You can also find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. That's Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. You know what I shared right before the show? And if you're a Seinfeld fan or a Pulp Fiction fan, you'll appreciate this. There is a scene in Pulp Fiction, and you know what it is if you're familiar with the film, that involves someone that looks very similar to Jerry Seinfeld. In fact, in the Pulp Fiction community for the last 30 years, they refer to this guy as the Seinfeld-looking guy. 
you if you know the movie, you know who I'm talking about. They used AI and deep fakes. I don't know who did it, but whoever did it is brilliant. They used AI and deep fake to replace that Seinfeld looking guy with Jerry Seinfeld. And they replaced some of the soundtrack to make it sound like it's an episode of Seinfeld. It is hilarious. It is brilliantly done. If you're a fan of Pulp Fiction or Seinfeld, ideally both, you will love this. It's on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Fan. Also, you will find on there, uh, I am trying to get, uh, I'm trying to get Curtis nominated for the National Radio Hall of Fame. And uh, you could see the uh, form in order to nominate him. And uh, I also uh, ran into the mayor last week of New York City, Eric Adams, who knows, even though I didn't support him, uh, that uh, he was pretty cool to hang out with. And if you want to see our photograph up there, you can. Uh, people were attacking me like crazy for that. You're a sellout. You're this. You're that. We just took a picture. That's it. And, um, and he was actually pretty cool. So you could see that. Now, we also have a Facebook group. The only thing we ask in this Facebook group, and if you want to join it, just go to Facebook.com slash group slash Radio Morano. It's very entertaining. It's basically five posts a day of John from Brooklyn explaining why we should escalate our involvement in this war with Russia and Ukraine. And it's somebody, it's these all these people perpetually trying to post about things not related to the show. So... This one guy, I guess, had kept trying to post about things not related to the show. And he announces, and we declined his posts because it's not a, you know, Curtis Leewood discussion group or a whatever discussion group. It's about the stuff that's on this show. So this guy, uh, Fred is his name. He says, I will not be attempting to post in this room anymore. My posts are regularly rejected with no explanation. Why bother, Frank Moreno? What am I so, um, now, I'm wondering, like, what reaction is he expecting from it? Is he expecting all of us to say, oh, no, Fred, don't go. What are we going to do without your posts? Clearly, if his posts were relevant to anything we were talking about, then we would just approve them. But again, I don't. I, I don't specifically know what it was that caused his post to be declined. Nothing. W- what? I, I I look back and to see what the posts were that were declined. He posts like once a month or something. It's not even like the guy has a million posts that were declined. It was a couple that were declined that had nothing to do, like you said, with the show. Right. So they were declined by me or you, whoever. And and I was like, he. It's not like. He posts every day or tried to post every day. It was a post here and a post there. And some were accepted and some weren't. There are only five rules for posting in this show, in this uh, Facebook group. And again, you could join. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. And it's fun. And we welcome the criticism. I do, at least. I don't care. Just be nice to each other. These are the only five rules. One, be kind and courteous. You could say... You know what? I happen to think Frank is uh, the biggest fool on the radio. Fine. It's your opinion. But you don't have to use profanity or anything like that. And certainly don't attack anyone else. Two, no promotions or spam. Don't say, hey, subscribe to my newsletter. Ba, 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 ba. 
unless it's directly related to the show. Look, if you have a newsletter that's about the Adnan Syed case, hey, I noticed Frank was talking about that Adnan Syed case. If you're interested in this, maybe sign up here. That's not spam, right? That's somewhat relevant to what we were talking about. Three is no hate speech or bullying. If you're going to, you know, attack someone or uh, be racist or anti-Semitic, we don't approve of that. Four, please don't bash the other hosts. It's the last thing we need because I don't want someone hearing one of my colleagues and some of whom can be very sensitive. I don't want one of my colleagues saying, hey, what is this? I heard someone is bashing me in your group and you permitted that. That is, I promise you, the last conversation that I want to have. Or somebody in management saying, what is this group that you have? Were you allowing the other host to be bashed? What do I need that for? And it's just there's no need for that. You want to bash me? Have at it. And five, please keep posts relevant to the show. That is a, a, a rule that many people, including the very prolific Barb Pace, have a problem with. I'm convinced that all Barb Pace does is read the news online, and she just posts every article that she reads in there, whether she whether it's been talked about on the show or not. So don't do that. Don't do that. There's a few people that do that, and I wonder, why don't they just post it on their own feed? Well, probably because why? they have 20 followers. Yeah, I that's, guess so. That, that's exactly why. And I don't want them to co-opt this audience that we've built for their own, you know, for their own show, basically. So there you have it. Uh, but I want to reiterate, I have no problem with criticism. For instance, Daniel Hans, who is uh, kind of a smart aleck, says, as usual, the Einstein of Staten Island, Frank Morano, has it wrong. The only one to blame for Russia and China's aggression is Harry Truman, who fired General Douglas MacArthur when he wanted to wipe the Soviet Union and China off the map. Right. Okay. It's your opinion. So be it. Uh, I have a very different view of history. I think uh, Truman, I think uh, Truman's legacy holds him on very firm ground, national security wise. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Oh, that was the same guy. I was... uh, Posting about George Washington's inaugural uh, farewell address on Saturday, and this same guy, um, and, and this is all I need on a Saturday I, because it's the last thing I saw before I turned off my uh, electronics for the day. And most people, you know, they agreed with George Washington, or some people like John in Brooklyn, who you know oh, loves to disagree with George Washington, disagreed with him. And this same guy, Daniel, writes, "Don't you have anything better to do?" On your day off, then bloviate about George Washington. Maybe breakfast for Rachel and Carmine, and forget work for a bit. I wasn't. It was about George Washington, not about work. And I'd already made breakfast. It was a breakfast that was rejected because of the lemon in it. But at least Carmine, who doesn't know, you know, that he has the right to reject breakfast, he didn't throw any on the floor. So that's that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jeff is in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. How are you? Great. Hey. Just want to um, clarify something I called the other night about on that, you know, the picture that was that Jamie Lee Curtis had to throw away. That whole thing. I, I called you up. Right. I mentioned that guy, uh, that expert, that psychologist who studied a thousand years of child abuse. Remember that? Right. Okay. So I want to um, give support to my, the people I'm talking about. Steve, Steve Cates was five or six or seven or more years interviewed every week by this guy Robert Knight, who interviewed the guy who did the history. Of child abuse. 
Okay, so uh, Steve Cates interviewed Robert Knight or was interviewed by him? No, no, Steve Cates. Your Steve Cates was was Robert's guest for like 10 years. Oh, okay, and so he ought to know about the child abuse. No, 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 I'm just saying that I'm giving you to support Robert. And Margot Adler was friendly with Robert. Let's, let's assume that. Everybody's passed away. All right. So uh, what, what conclusion can we draw from that? No, uh, it, it's just a scholarly work that I'm sharing with your audience, with you and your audience. Okay. And uh, so the author, again, is named Robert Knight? No, no. He was the BAI host. BAI host. Oh, okay. Right. Gotcha. Who knew Margot Adler and Steve Cates. And the guy, I'll give you the guy's name. Lloyd, L-L-O-I-D, DeMars, D-E-M-A-U-S-S-E. Gotcha. And, anyway, uh, uh, that, let, sorry, two more things real fast. On music, Mary Tyler Moore theme, Joan Jett on YouTube. You'll love it. I know you haven't got to do it yet, right? Right. Bonnie Raitt, you mentioned Bonnie Raitt. I saw, you will not believe what she did a cover of 10 years ago, Elvis Presley's Hunk of Love. Really? I'll have to check that it, out, actually. It is, it is unbelievable. The way she said, you know, the guitar playing is, is great. The band is great. But to hear a female deliver those lyrics, and she's old enough to have known Elvis Presley. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, I, I would like to check that out, actually. And lastly, um, <clears throat> I wrote this down. Um, oh, I'm going to try. There's, a, there's some music on a current BAI show. It's an old, like, 40s. All right. Well, yeah, I don't want to really promote other radio stations. No, no, no. no, no. I'm I'm just going to – I don't even know who it is yet, but I'm going to find – I think you'll love this piece of music. Good good night. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. All right. 800-848-9222. That was exhausting. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Tony Bobolina, paging Tony Bobolinsky, paging Tony Denono. (laughs) Tony Denono, people don't know, that was the Joe Piscopo uh, uh, sketch from years ago. Right, from HBO. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add, Steve? Yeah, no, I thought you were going to ask me some questions. No, uh, first of all, you called me. your friend Kyle, your friend Kyle yes. shares a birthday with Ronnie Reagan and Babe Ruth. That's I right. Mean, you're, up there, you're up there with some of the big, big-time guys. And um, I was on recently, you brought up game shows. If I was on a, a game show on a sports, uh, a national sports show a few weeks ago, and they they really those guys were cheating and all heck broke you know all hell broke loose and everything, and they wanted the impression that I would never call the show again, but I did call it again. No one's going to stop me from calling. Just want to let you know that anything can happen on a game show. I mean, I, I don't see why why you don't your show the thousand dollar question. I'd be willing to. Why don't we just fix it? Let me win. We'll split the fuckers. Nobody ever wins. They think it's rigged in the other direction. You know, it, it, you're better off making me win. Give me the answers. I'll split it with you. We'll give half of it to charity. No, no, this- we, we we run an honest game here, Steve. An honest game. Believe me. Um, and uh, trust me, trust me. I, I uh, I'm not. I'm very above board on that uh, on that game. Absolutely. All right, we're going to continue with your calls in a moment. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
This is a request of another birthday person today, Meg Ventrudo. Meg Ventrudo is a friend of mine for a long time, about 20 years, more than that, actually. And uh, she used to be, she, her kind of claim to fame was she was the executive director of the Tibetan Art Museum, did a great job in that respect. And these days she's the executive director at the Woodlawn Conservancy, and she does a great job there as well. It's her birthday today. And uh, she's, li- uh, I think, listening in France. So she, uh, we're actually at a, on at a much more reasonable hour in France. So anyway, um, it's a funny story about Meg. I met her 22 years ago, tw- no, tw- 20, 21 years ago, I'll say. And, you know, I was a single guy at the time, much younger. And I met her at an event, and she was as nice as could be. Obviously, I thought she was very pretty, and she was very charming, very, very witty. And it was at a political event, and we ended up chatting. And she's super nice. And if I didn't know better, I would think she was being a little flirtatious. And I was being a little flirtatious, and, you know, so be it. So then, maybe a month later, I run into her in a bar. And um, I am kind of picking up where I left off. And I'm being flirtatious, and I am getting nothing. That's like the opposite attitude. From 21 years ago. I mean, I'm getting nothing. And meanwhile, you know, it's like a group of five or six people, all of whom are involved in politics, most of of whom I know. And there's one fellow that I've met before, but uh, you didn't really know him. Name's Bill. And he is starting an argument with me over nothing. I mean, we're talking about basically who's managing the campaign of some conservative party candidate. And he's starting an argument with me over nothing. And I'm trying to think to myself, why is this guy so hostile? What did I ever do to this guy? So anyway, the evening ends, no fisticuffs or anything, just kind of some polite disagreement, which was a little more heated than I expected. And, you know, everyone leaves. And then I come to learn right after they leave that Bill, the guy that was giving me a hard time, is married to Meg, the girl that I was trying to flirt with right in front of him. This was, you know, when I, you're a young guy, you don't know to check for wedding rings or anything. And sure enough, they were married. And, uh, oh, my goodness. We had, uh, we had quite a laugh about that after that. Bill and I became very good friends. And uh, these days, Bill and his current wife, Mary Ellen, they are uh, two of Rachel and, uh, and my best friends. So uh, it's clearly there were some issues in that Meg and Bill marriage that seemed to have, you know, led them to part company. But um, happy birthday, Meg Ventrudo. And uh, I guess if your wish was not to be married to Bill, your wish came true. So, uh, but uh, I think it, it's one of those situations that worked out well for everybody. Now. Oh, before we get a million calls, let me just say that the landslide version was smashing pumpkins. Oh, come on. <laughs> Meg Ventrudo had one birthday wish, which was the Stevie Nicks version of landslide. 
And you're playing Smash well, Pumpkins? I didn't know because in the in the system here, it didn't have the artist. I heard the beginning. Oh, it sounds like sounds like Fleetwood Mac. And then we heard the voice. Like, Wait a minute. It's not Fleetwood Mac. It's Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, hey, speaking of um, couples, uh, those of you that are holding, Dave, Tommy, Fred, Ralph, I will get to you. But <laughs> I have to mention this. I'm curious if anyone is up on this, right? So there's all these things about, you know, I'm not a swinger, right? But there's all these myths about swingers. Who knows what they're true, if they're true or not. They say there's um, one symbol of being a swinger. Do you know, Matt Blaze, what the, the symbol of being a swinger is? I did. I don't remember. Okay, though. so they say, what I'd heard, and I just looked this up, and this is sort of true. They say a pineapple is the symbol of being a swinger or a couple that's a swinger. I'd always heard that. So anyway, my wife and I are at this uh, party a couple weeks ago, and she ends up talking with my friend's wife, and uh, they end up talking about how some... My wife mentions how someone in our neighborhood has Adirondack chairs, and my friend's wife tells her, well, you know what that means if you have Adirondack chairs in the front of your house. That means you're a swinger. What? And so I'd never heard that. And I said, are you kidding? I, I didn't know that. I always thought pineapple was the symbol of being a swinger. And Rachel said to me, you know, the person we're talking about, the person whose house it is, let's, let's call him Jimmy, single guy, Jimmy. Um, she says, Jimmy has a pineapple flag in front of his house as well. I said, you're kidding. He does? How? She says, yes. How have you never noticed that? So sure enough, He's got Adirondack chairs and a pineapple flag, which now I pass every day and I've taken note of. So I do wonder if there's anything to that. Has anyone heard that, that those are the two symbols of swingerism? A, a pineapple? I mean, it's, I just looked online. It's supposed to be an upside-down pineapple. And Adirondack chairs? Let me know, because I am curious. But maybe there's a reason Jimmy is single. 800-848-9222. He does listen now, so I'm hoping he's not listening now. But it's an assumed name. And look, if he's a swinger, wouldn't he want people to know? Right? All right. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, if there's two things uh, that I have said repeatedly on the air, um, 
one is that uh, if I ever turn out to be brain dead, and there are some of you in the audience that already believe that I am brain dead, but uh, if I had ever, if I ever genuinely turn into a vegetable, which I pray never occurs, um, at least assume that I'm a happy vegetable. Leave me alone. Do not pull the plug. Put me next to a radio, play the radio next to me, and just assume that I'm fine. That's what I've always said, and that's more or less my position. Additionally, what else? I am a big believer in organ donation and that you should, uh, posthumously, you should donate whatever you can to help as many people as possible. Okay. Now, what about when those areas intersect with one another? I found this very interesting article and actually a listener sent this to me thank you for this this is uh, this is one of the uh, this is an article that i would not have seen had a listener not sent it to me and uh, a lot of listeners send me articles and i'm most of them i've seen already this is one that i would not have seen i don't think and if you ever want to send me an article you can frank.morano at wabcradio.com it's frank.morano at wabcradio.com so there's a professor a norwegian professor who has suggested, and this is not a joke, this is not meant to be provocative, as far as I can tell, as best I can tell, this is 100% legitimate. And I'm just going to tell you about it, and then I want you to weigh in as to whether you agree or you disagree and why. And, uh, you know, try to rely on your thoughts, the facts, not necessarily your emotions. 800-848-9222. A Norwegian professor is suggesting that brain-dead men and women should be kept alive and used as, I'll be honest, I'd never heard this term before, whole-body gestational surrogates. This is according to a report published in the Journal of Theoretical Medicines and Bioethics. Here's a quote. Whole-body gestational donation offers an alternative means of gestation for prospective parents who wish to have children but cannot or prefer not to gestate. It seems plausible that some people would be prepared to consider donating their whole bodies for gestational purposes, just as some people donate parts of their bodies for organ donation. So the paper is written by a professor of practical philosophy at the University of Oslo, Norway, um, Anna Smajdor. And the paper's titled Whole Body Gestational Donation. And Smajdor stated that it's already been determined that pregnancies can be successfully carried to term in brain-dead women and that there is no obvious medical reason why initiating such pregnancies would not be possible, although she does admit that it is a an undoubtedly disturbing process, uh, prospect. She's arguing that whole-body gestational do- donation should be an option for anyone who wishes to avoid the risks and burdens of gestating a fetus in their own body, which may be disconcerting, But most of the ethical problems that might be associated with it apply equally to other areas of medicine and or reproductive practice. 
The report asserted that pregnancy and childbirth carry serious health risks even in affluent settings with advanced health care. Smajdor states, we cannot yet forego the uterus altogether for the reproduction of our species, but we can transfer the risks of gestation to those who are no longer able to be harmed by them. And she acknowledges that whole body gestational donation might stand out as being unacceptable from a feminist perspective. She says the prospect of the unconscious woman's body filled and used by others as a vessel is a vivid illustration of just what feminists have fought against for many years. She also suggested that brain-dead men would also have the potential to gestate, which would increase the pool of potential donors and mitigate feminist concerns. The prospect of the male gestator could thus appease some feminists who might otherwise feel that brain-dead gestation is a step too far in the objectification of women's reproductive organs. The prospect of male pregnancy is not, as many would imagine, fanciful or a piece of science fiction. So, uh, understand what she's saying. She is saying that if someone is brain dead, their body is still functioning, but they're essentially a vegetable. What she is saying is that we medical science should be able to use that person's body to have a, a child. I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. She proposes a scheme similar to organ donation. Basically, you could opt, if you ever become brain dead, that you are willing to use your body to procreate. What do you think of that idea? Good idea? Bad idea? Why or why not? It's a little it's a little icky to me. That being said, if you consent, I don't know why this would be impermissible or unethical. If you, and I'm talking only for people that consent, if you fill out a form, sign a form that says, if I am ever brain dead, I am consenting to use my body as a vessel for procreation. What's wrong with that? 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. One fella emailed me who said, I think it's unethical even if consent is obtainable. Healthcare resources are finite, especially trained staff. And it's okay to say to a hopeful couple, no, the constant attention this brain-dead surrogate will need for a year is wasteful. So um, there's been a tremendous backlash to this. But this is proposed in a serious medical journal by a serious academic. This is not some lunatic bloviating on a radio talk show in the middle of the night. What do you say to the idea of whole-body gestational donation? The question being posed in the Journal of Theoretical Medicine and Bioethics, is why should women's wombs, why should the wombs of brain-dead women go to waste? 
whole body gestational donation. This idea originally surfaced in the year 2000 in the same journal by an Israeli doctor. And she, the Israeli doctor, had speculated that the bodies of women in a persistent vegetative state could be used to gestate babies uh, until, you know, they're able to make artificial wombs. However, um, the, this this is a little bit different than a persistent vegetative state. So uh, 800-848-9222. A lot of critics are taking issue with this. What do you think? 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Tony in Florida. Hello, Tony. Good morning. Morning. Boy, what a nut. What kind of person would even think up that idea, much less voice it? Well, hey, leave it to the world of academia. Yes. I mean, I don't know where some people's thoughts come from. I mean, that's the craziest idea I think I've ever heard. It, rape is bad, okay? But this makes rape look like nothing. I mean, talk about violating somebody's body well, but even against if, their will. Well, but the the counter argument to that, Tony, is the person is consenting. They're they're giving their permission for this to be done to their body. Even if they did, they've got to be a nut too. Um, I'm sorry, but I can't th- think of anything more crazy than to use somebody's body in that way. Well, thank you, uh, Tony. All right. I mean, look, I, um, I'm uh, again. I find this very creepy. It makes me kind of cringe thinking about it, reading about it. That being said. If someone's willing to consent, what's the problem from an ethical perspective, right? I mean, we know that there are surrogate mothers all the time, right? You can be, you can carry someone else's baby to term. Those are all people that are um, competent, making their own decisions. What would be wrong with someone saying, if I'm ever brain dead, I'm giving permission, in the same, why is it different? Aside from the unusual aspect of it and the whole ick factor, what do you think? Why? Don't just tell me what your thought is. Tell me why. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Two open lines if you want to comment. Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Good morning, Frank. I have a couple of quips real quick and then uh, ask you something about the balloon. Um, first thing is with inflation today, that $64 question would be $64 trillion. <laughs> That's true. Um, and, and I'm, I just want you to, I am an expert in lottery. So I'm going to study anything. I mean, I'm an expert in losing like the lottery and a lot of other things too, especially my mind. But, um, I, I think maybe I'd study uh, rocket science oh, or even better. How about cannabis? Then I'd learn how to make a, a grow house, and I'd make millions of dollars. Well, you, what's stopping you from doing that now? Nothing. <laughs> but I just thought it would be a good thing. I, yeah. the, the thing with the balloon, though, the Chinese uh, balloon, whatever you want to call it, I mean, I'm not going to try to visualize it or whatever, but um, I'm not happy that I, we have the technology, and I'm sure we already knew that that thing was on its way because we have very sensitive technology. And um what kind of bothers me is if our military, I'm sure, was shadowing it while it was coming, 
didn't have the op- didn't have the approval to shoot it down without the president's without the executive branch authorization if they told them. But like something like that, it was it was immediate. The military could take care of it, and then post haste talk to the president afterwards and get condemned. But this is something that was coming in slow, so they probably talked to him about it and they said, oh, "Let's leave it." But to to be strong as a country. You know that the old saying is uh, the best defense is a strong – well, the best offense is a, is a strong defense, I think it was said. And uh, that's my belief. I'm a, I'm a retired sergeant, United States Army, served 16 and a half years, and I do believe that we have the strength. And right now, America is being weakened by all of the crazy stuff going on, um, and we all know what it is. We talk about it every day on the radio. And um, I think that, you know, when you talk about, like, drill sergeants are, are hit with these yellow cards from from soldiers. Mm. And, you know, you don't have to yell at me anymore. He pulls his yellow card out of his pocket now. What the hell is that? I was in, I was in, you, if sergeant yelled at you, there was a reason for it. They had to break you down and train you and build you up and make you strong mentally, physically, and morally. Right? And now they're giving these white, uh, yellow cards to soldiers and saying, he puts it up and says, you're not allowed to yell at me in there. And the drill sergeant has I, I had no idea it was no. so pervasive. I mean, you hear all these it, stories it, about wokeness in the military. I had no idea it got to the point of white cards that you could pull on a yellow, drill yellow. sergeant. Or yellow cards. I, I thought you said yellow white uh, also. Uh, uh, Tommy, thank you for your service to the country, and thanks for your perspective. 800-848-9222. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, Frank. So about the the you know the coma patients, um, I guess I mean you said icky. I guess I don't want to quite say ghoulish, but if they sign the release and they're in, at the criteria specified, they're in coma. I mean, that, it, there might be there's a baby that might not otherwise be born. You know what I mean? So I mean I mean I don't know. It, no, no. It, well, it, I, they give permission. <laughs> right. Well, so what about what the the email guy raised to me, which is, look, there's a finite amount of medical resources, and um, why should the time and effort of uh, of a uh, of, of a nurse and a doctor be spent on a brain dead woman instead of a, um, a a woman and or a couple that's totally alert? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, why should the the alert, non-brain-dead couple have to compete for finite resources with the brain-dead woman? Right. Right. I mean, ideally, we should be at technology, you know, like, uh, at the beginning of Man of Steel, kind of the artificial womb uh, stuff. I mean, who knows? That That's that's ideal. But, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I mean, like I said, it's, I, I can't, I wouldn't want to think about it, like, but it, it's, again, it's a baby that might, you know, wouldn't otherwise have a chance, you know. But there's also, yeah, I mean, they're working on the technology and everything, so um, it's it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Oh, I'm, one thing, like, what if what if they it woke them up from the coma theoretically? I mean, I don't I don't know what level they has to accept for that, you know. Well, uh, you know that, that's a, a good question, know? Eric. Thank you. A, so, in this paper that uh, this Norwegian, thank you for the call. In this paper that this Norwegian woman is writing, she is saying the opposite. Of that Israeli doctor. So the Israeli doctor 20 years ago said we should use patients in a persistent vegetative state. That's not what this Norwegian professor is saying. What the Norwegian is saying is um, brain dead people. Do you know the difference between persistent vegetative state and brain dead? Don't feel bad if you didn't because I think most people probably don't. So the, the difference between brain death 
and a vegetative state, which is a disorder of consciousness, which can happen after extensive brain damage, is that it's possible to recover from a vegetative state. But brain death is permanent. There's no way to recover from brain death. You're dead. The brain is dead. It's, um, and that's why this Norwegian professor is saying, no, no, no. That suggestion in this same journal 20 years ago um, to use patients in a persistent vegetative state, we shouldn't do that. That's not right because people could come back from that. And imagine you come back and you find yourself pregnant. That's not fair to do. This woman, the Norwegian professor, is saying it's got to be brain dead. No persistent vegetative state. Make sense? So I think that's the answer to Eric's question. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Hello, Frank. Yeah, I have a donor card. So, I mean, after I die, everything's going to be given away and the rest burned up. So um, I'm not overly offended by this. I mean, I... I, uh, uh, as long as there, uh, you know, you sign a release form and you, you understand that after, if you're brain dead, that your body might be used for uh, to help somebody have a child. But what I am, but there's a bigger issue, and the bigger issue is that I'm thinking of all these unloved children out there who need to be adopted. And I think that, frankly, rather than going to the dead, these people should um, maybe adopt a child. I mean, my cousin did it, and. Um, you know, uh, they're very happy, and the child is uh, now an adult. So uh, I, you know, and that's I... a good point. That's a good point, Norman. A lot of children need homes, and um, to some extent, and I don't mean to. And and thanks for the call, Norman. And I appreciate you mentioning that. And I have a lot of friends that have adopted children, and who uh, have been adopted themselves. And I've seen very rewarding, very loving, very magical relationships. But um, to the, I don't mean to compare humans and animals, but to some extent. It's kind of the same conversation that we had a year and a half ago. Do you remember when I had on the guy from the company who wanted to clone dogs, who does clone pets, not wanted to, who does clone dogs, and I think other pets, but they certainly clone dogs. And a whole bunch of people said to me, there are so many dogs that need to be adopted, that need a home. Why wouldn't you adopt a dog from a shelter? And save him from a life behind bars in a shelter, or worse, having him euthanized. Why, instead of instead of doing that, would you spend sixty four thousand dollars on one of these cloned dogs? And I think that's a fine question. To some extent, what Norman's bringing up, and again, I realize there's a big difference between humans and animals, but to some extent, what Norman's bringing up is the same issue, right? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If I'm not mistaken, Evelyn is the person that encouraged me to do that segment on uh, cloned pets, and she happens to be on the line. Evelyn in Bayonne. Hello, Evelyn. Hi, Frank. One question. Uh, one thing I have to say. I truly believe in miracles. What if the brain dead person woke up? Uh, well, so I mean, it's never happened before in history. I mean, that's the same as saying, "What if um, a person that's actually dead." comes back from to, to life. Now, I know Lazarus did it. I know Jesus Christ did it. But in terms of modern medical science, there's never been an instance of someone dead coming back to life or someone that's brain dead all of a sudden being, you know, a com- if, you, if you have even a shot at, uh, at being able to have your brain work again, they call it a vegetative, uh, they call it a vegetative state. But look, hey, you're right. Miracles are miracles, right? I mean, uh, it, uh, I, but... 
I, I guess you I, have a point, Frank. You I guess that's where the consent form comes in, though, Evelyn. Right? You do have a point. I get it. And um, thanks, Frank. Thank you, Evelyn. Appreciate it. And thanks okay. for that nice email earlier. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank. I hey. wanted to talk about uh, something that Love you were talking bit, about about an hour and a half and an hour and a half ago about. Yes. Uh, mentally ill people in society and what to do with them Love and, the you know, Sounds get them like on medication or get them in institutions. Uh, I saved an article from Post, the New York Post, August 22nd, 2008. A lady by the name of Linda Stasi, TV critic. Sure, I know Linda. Okay. Uh, Nuts to You is the name of the article. E ranks 10 most shocking mental disorders. These are people in the entertainment industry. And it goes through the top 10, and I'll read it to you. E's top oh, 10 mental disorder sufferers might not include not in this order. Christina Ricci, a self-injurer and anorexic, burned herself in order to slow down. Delta Bark, obsessive hoarder, 27 storage units, full of their stuff. Gwyneth Paltrow, clinical depression after dad's death and postpartum depression after son's birth. Justin Chambers, sleep disorder, one hour of sleep a week. Howie Mandel, obsessive compulsive disorder, 10 showers a day, refusal to shake hands. Catherine McVie, bulimia, treated during American Idol. Linda Hamilton, bipolar. I hope we're going through all ten of these. Meds to I would hate to think we're going to fe- stop at Kirsten five Dunn's or six. Anxiety and depression. Life in the spotlight since childhood got her down. Mary Kate Olsen, anorexia, upset that she felt less beautiful than her identical twin. Ken Basinger, agoraphobia, once stayed indoors no need for to a worry. month. And they've got a list of a whole bunch of other. Oh. Uh, entertainers that have uh, mental disorders. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sorry to hear that, but what are you saying? Dave? 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 And he left his radio on. I think, I think there's got to be a mental disorder for people that leave their radio on as well. Woo! 800-848-9222. Frazier is in Suffolk. Uh, Frazier. Oh, how you doing, Frank? I- I'm doing well. I enjoyed the television Hello? program, Frazier. Did you like it? Frazier? Hello? Hey, did you you have him muted there, Matt? Frank? Yeah, Frazier. Can you hear me? Frazier? Yes, you I'm can- here. Okay, good. Okay, you didn't hear me before. Did you enjoy the television program, Frazier? Television? Oh, um, yeah, I didn't really. I don't really watch that much TV. I'm always working and stuff. I know, but, but I, anyway, I would think if there's a show with your name on it, I, I know <laughs> you would see it, right? No. Yeah, no, I, I, I see every, you know, just a half, but I'm always doing something. So, but anyway, about your uh, that thing with the body, if uh, that lady is um, in that state, if she can't eat food, how does the baby? The food through the umbilical cord. Uh, so I don't pretend to be an expert, but uh, my uh, my thought is, and again, I I can't stress enough how little I know about medicine. But my thought is, uh, they probably feed the woman through an IV, and the baby would get nutrition that way. 
Oh, yeah, so that that's how that works, you think? That's, I mean, uh, that's my guess. Again, uh, that, I don't know that they get into it in this paper. I only read uh-huh. articles about it, but not the whole paper. But that's my thinking is uh, uh, people that are brain dead are fed with an IV. And I'm uh-huh. thinking that maybe there's enough nutrition uh, that they put into this IV to, in theory, feed a fetus as well. No, I, I understand that. But, you know, would you, you think – the baby might be different now because they're feeding it like that. It's a great question. It's a great, you know, it's a great question. Uh, And uh, I don't know, but let's say, let's say for an experiment. Yeah. Well, I, 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 it's because it's never been done to anyone's knowledge. I guess you're right. I guess this is uh, kind of an experiment. Um, Let's say Frazier though, that the baby would be fine and the baby can get nutrition and through the IV or however else. Would you be okay with this if somebody gives their consent for this? Uh, listen, I have no problem with that. That's not my, you know, that's not my thing. But um, if someone says that, that I mean, that's their, that's their body, so they're allowed to do that. Would you, you ever know? consent uh, to allow your body to be used in this manner? Um, no, I'm a male. <laughs> no, no, I, <laughs> I understand that. But uh, again, in this paper. This Norwegian professor is saying that men should be used for gestational purposes as well if they're brain dead. Let's say they can take some of your semen while you're brain dead and use it to uh, you create a child. Um, don't ain't that why they have those places you can go and they freeze it? You know, I, I don't know. But let's say, Frazier, let's say don't, that you can't find a, a man. sperm bank where you can go do that anyway. You know what I mean? So if you want to do that, you could have did it ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, th- uh, th- yeah, I guess you're right, Frazier. You know, I guess, I guess that's true. Right? I mean, uh, I, you know, again, it's more of an ethical question than a than a scientific one. A couple of people keep asking on Twitter and on Facebook, what happens to the baby if the woman wakes up out of the coma? I want to stress this. It is not a coma. It is someone that's brain dead. There, there's a big difference between coma and vegetative state. There's a big difference between coma and brain dead. Coma, you're awake. It's not like you're asleep. You're awake, but it's just like your brain is dead. It, you, you've seen, um, you've seen uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, I don't want to. You know my rule about spoilers. Um, you know the scene where someone has had a lobotomy and they're brain dead? That person is alive. Their brain is able to function. But their brain, not their brain, their body is able to function. Their brain is not. So it's possible that you could be awake and all of your physical functionality works. And you might not even need to be hooked up to an IV. I mean, it's possible that your regular... You could be able to chew and stuff just through instinct. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert in brain dead people in spite of my experience with certain callers. But I think that um, it, that's a big difference between coma, vegetative state, and brain dead. So nothing to do with coma. What this professor is advocating has nothing to do with comas. 800-848-9222. Hey, Fred in Brooklyn is on the line. He's the person that threatened to stop posting in our Facebook group. And now we can hear from him directly. Fred, uh, what's on your mind? Why did we upset you? I didn't threaten to not post anymore. I'm a contributor to the show. I call in regularly. I invite you to Atlantic City. I try to make your party. But, but, but Saturday night, 
keep in mind, I, I've been posted in your room a long time about the, the song Between Breaks, the guitar riff. I, I've been posted in there that it was a Scorpion song for years. And, and then I called in Saturday to Curtis. He put me through. He gave me a nice long segment. I explained the whole thing. And then I finally went on the message board. I said, finally, somebody listened to me about that Scorpion song, Between the Breaks. And I was completely ignored until I complained that nobody even ever puts me through anymore after being put through a few times. And now I get ridiculed for it. But Fred- I contribute to this show and to WABC a whole lot, and I thought that was an important feature of your show. But Fred, you I play think... the song every night well, what... in one way or another. Wait, wait, what... I thought it was important Fred... to the room and to the channel. Fred, what Scorpion song do we play every night? There's a break between songs where there's a guitar riff, where, where there's just a guitar riff saying WABC. At... But that's the beginning of a famous Scorpion song called Loving You Sunday Morning. And, and and you guys use the first 15 seconds of that song between every show. And I'm, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to call into your show and say it, and they never put me through. I tried to post it on the message board, and no one ever cares. I finally got through to Curtis. He, he made a big deal out of it. And I just tried to flash my peacock feathers in the room, and I got no well, attention I, I, again. I do remember that post regarding Curtis's show in Scorpion, and... The one I declined it because it was about something that happened on Curtis's show, not ours. And second, um, because I didn't know what you were talking about with the with the Scorpion thing. Matt, do you know what Fred is talking about with the Scorpion song? Are you up on this? Yeah, he's talking about the back time bed. Oh, the back time bed. That's what okay. he's talking about. Gotcha. All right. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that straightened out. I'm sorry if we uh, offended you, Fred. If you want to post. You didn't offend me. I love you and the show. And oh, you're still well, welcome to Society Club anytime we're in Atlantic City oh, at the same time. Oh, Fred, you sent me that um, that photo of you winning with the Queens, right? It's yes, Queens. that's Good. why I couldn't make your party. I, I, I hate... hit Queens with $50 up in the circle. And, and me and my yeah, wife Yeah, I mentioned this the other day. So you won $50,000. No, no. I, the dealer did not have blackjack. It was oh, 125 oh. to 1. Oh, wow. So it was only a measly, what is that? Uh, 6,200. Uh, it's a bag, mere bag of shelves, peanuts. It kept me from making it to your party, though. I had a few drinks here. I, I, good for you. Hey, Fred, congratulations on the, on the win, and uh, hopefully I'll see you in Atlantic City sooner rather than later. Thank you, sir. Thank Bye-bye. you. 800-848-9222. All right. Those of you that are holding, please continue to do so if you want. It's up to you. I mean, we all make our own decisions. Robert, Doug, and Ralph. But for everybody else, we are going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that. Be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The $1,000 Minute, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. A hundred ships a day, lonely sailors 
pass the time away and talk about their homes. And there's a girl in this harbor town, and she works laying whiskey down. They say brandy, fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine. They say the say brandy. Uh, this is another Kyle O'Brien selection. I want to wish my friend Kyle O'Brien a happy birthday. And uh, looking forward to seeing him soon. I don't know when. Uh, you know, leisure to Maybe he'll come to the uh, Shatner show this weekend, right? He uh, spends a lot of time in Jersey, right? Uh, I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Meantime, though, we have uh, a contestant for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Let us say hello to Bruce in New Jersey. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Frank. Bruce, you've heard this segment before, I imagine. Yes. So you know the rules. Yes, I'm half asleep, but I'll give you a try. Okay, that's all we can ask. You ready to go? Yep. Okay. What is the official language of Italy? Italian. What religious figure lives at the Vatican? The Pope. What state is the city of Baltimore in? Maryland. Who is the Chief Justice of the United States? Roberts. Who was Al Gore's running mate in the year 2000? Al Gore. Oh, Al Gore's been a while. Um... Recently a guest on this show. Uh, Ferrero? Ferrero? No, I'm sorry. It was uh, Joe Lieberman. Joe Lieberman. Ah, yeah. We had on the show recently. Bruce, I'm sorry. Um, You did not win. You you lost on question five, uh, which under our new rules entitles you to nothing. One thing I do want to mention is, and I'm working to change this, so hopefully this changes by tomorrow, but... There was a memo put out on Friday that says we're no longer giving out merchandise as a consolation prize. Now, I I raised an objection to this. Of course, nobody else, you know, says anything. But I and again, I don't know why this didn't come up in the meeting we had, but I, I raised an objection. To zero. It. And I said, point zero. I said, giving, you know, giving merchandise out. It's a great way to promote the show. People really like it. And um and I think that is being considered. My objections are being considered, but at least for the time being, we are only giving away uh, cash prizes at the moment. So uh, if you want merchandise right now, um, you're not going to get it through playing this game. You can purchase some at store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. 
That's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. I am very excited, as I've been telling you, about this uh, William Shatner uh, show that I'm doing Friday and Saturday. It's a screening of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and then um, a Q&A with William Shatner afterwards. I am preparing five hours worth of questions each night. I mean, no joke. This is this has gotten out of hand. I, 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 you know what I did over the weekend? I watched the four episodes of The Practice that William Shatner is on. So that I was on so that I could make sure all of my Denny Crane questions were on point. Shatner just reconciled with his fourth wife, Elizabeth. I've got questions about that. I have questions beyond questions. This is worth seeing. Even if you've seen Star Trek Two a bunch of times, this is worth seeing just for the interview. You know, it's funny. My buddy Arthur sent me an SMS uh, text message and uh, he and his wife, Marianne, had us over with Carmine to their house on Saturday and they have a little girl. Ariana as well. And it was great to see, uh, it was great to spend time with all of them. Big thank you for hosting us. Uh, they, Arthur had asked for a commendation for being so hospitable, but uh, it's not, I mean, come on, can't give a commendation because somebody invites you over and gives you food. Otherwise, forget about it. We, we do an hour's worth of commendations. So I, I sent him an SMS, I sent him a WhatsApp message. I said, thanks again for a great afternoon. He says, so happy we made it happen. And then he sends me a photo of the tickets that he just purchased to the Red Bank showing. And he says, I just paid $360 for two tickets to see a movie that's probably free on Netflix. So this better be one hell of an interview. Now, he probably paid the extra money either because Ticketmaster is a monopoly and they're raking people over the coals or um, because... He is getting is spending the extra hundred dollars on the VIP experience. So um, I, I we are still, by the way, there's still tickets available for the Bergen show on uh, the the uh, Englewood show at Bergen Pack on Saturday, February 11th. So if you have not yet gotten tickets, you can go to bergenpack.org, purchase your tickets, and use the discount code Frank and J. And there's a $10 discount per ticket. So if you want to go, I would do it quickly because this show is going to sell out. And I have a feeling once I tell the people in Red Bank that I have a whole separate bank of questions for Saturday, that a lot of the Red Bank people are going to want to come to that as well. Because this is going to be an interview the likes of which you've never seen. It's going to be an interview the likes of which you've never experienced. I said to my wife, this interview is going to be so good. At least, uh, of course, now that I'm building it up, of course I'm going to do something. I'll get nervous and lose my voice or something, whatever. But, but And I hate to build it up this much, but it really is going to be this phenomenal. I said to my wife, this interview is going to be so good that I guarantee you Shatner is going to ask me to go to Atlanta with him and to go to Milwaukee with him and do the interview after the screenings there. And I said to her, I have to go. If that happens, I have to go. And she said, all right. I think you're being awfully uh, awfully conceited thinking that he's going to ask you. I said, you don't know the kind of interview that I'm preparing. Of course, now that I'm saying that, I'll catch whatever cold Matt Blaze was walking around here with on Friday, and I'll be unable to go. So uh, Alex has a cold. Of course he does. Of course he does. I just want to let you know that. Of course, because we are, we're living in an infirmary. The big difference between us and an infirmary is they, 
<laughs> Everyone has water there at the infirmary. All right. All right. Dear Frank Morello. Thank you. Um, by the way, we gave a ticket, a pair of tickets away uh, for these uh, Shatner tickets, and Andrew won in New Jersey. And uh, we are giving away some tickets online. I shared the information on my Facebook page. It's a contest that we're running online. So you can go to Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Uh, but Andrew of North Arlington won the ticket. So congratulations to you, Andrew. If you see me at that thing and if you, um, if you, you know, find me after the show, I do have a couple of Frank Morano pens that I have made, and I'll be happy to give you one. So there you have it. All right, 800-848-9222. By the way, I'm uh, looking at one of the old news channels now, and they are highlighting the interview that former Governor David Patterson did with uh, John Katsimatidis yesterday on the Cats Roundtable. It was a great interview. If you didn't hear it, go to the catsroundtable.com. It's making literally national news. This was uh, this had to do with the comments that Governor Patterson made about how New York is handling the migrant situation. And I think Governor Patterson was right on the money. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Doug in New Jersey. Hello, Doug. Hi, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. Um, um, I wanted to um, I just wanted to make a quick comment about like um, that gestational thing. Yes. The the, uh, gestational whole body donation. Like, um, you know how kids, like, you know, and, you know, even when they grow up, they want to know, like, their family tree and stuff? Sure. And, and what if the, what if the, um, the kid found out, like, that their, where they came from was from a dead person? Yeah, I mean. Isn't that kind of weird? Yes. Well, no, brain dead person. But yes, I think I think it is kind of weird. Right. And I think that's a fair point. Um, but what if let, let's say you use a living parent's eggs, but the woman is in theory not able to carry a baby to term and they use a woman who's in who's brain dead at, to uh, as sort of a surrogate mother. You know, um, the kid could they could the parents could tell the child, yes, you know, you came from mommy and daddy. And, um, you know, you're a a woman that was brain dead helped us to create you as a miracle. Well, that's a legitimate point. Yeah. But like, look, Doug, there are no easy answers when it comes to this kind of thing. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it, Doug. You know, it's funny. I told my uh, my uh, wife again over the weekend that um that I'm not eating eggs. She asked Sunday, you know, do, or I'm, I'm going to make breakfast. Do you want eggs? And I said, no, no, thank you. Uh, I'm not eating eggs until the price comes down. And she said to me a couple things. She said, one, do you see the money that you waste on absolutely everything? The one thing that you're going to cut out is your favorite food? I said, yes. Yes, that's right. I did get an email, by the way, about some egg prices that are very competitive that I'm looking into. Thank you for that. But she said, this is what she said to me. She said, if you died next week, how would you feel about the fact that you, you're not eating eggs? And I said, I don't think I'd feel much of anything. I think, I think I'd be just as dead whether I'm eating eggs or not. And that kind of ended the discussion. But it, it ended it with a sigh on my wife's part. All right. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. Hey, Robert. Um, the enormous amount of resources it would take 
to bring a baby to term in a brain-dead woman's body would be much better spent and more efficient saving the lives of babies who would otherwise be aborted. Think about that. Yeah, uh, well, look, I I don't think uh, you can argue with that, right? But, I mean, so in one case, though, um, I mean, both of them have to do with childbirth. But in one case, it's the decision of a woman uh, to terminate her pregnancy. And in another case, it's the desire of a, a couple to have a child. Now, to your point, if the if the woman that wants to terminate her pregnancy would decide to carry the baby to term and just put it up for adoption, it has the same effect. But the reality is, you know, abortion, at least in much of the country, is still a, a legal procedure. And this is an ethical debate, the gestational whole body donation, that is going to be had all over the world, not just in the United States. So, uh, but your point's well taken. Look, uh, I think if you don't all want right. a child... Uh, that you know, adoption is a very viable option for folks. Thank you, Robert. Um, again, I know you had another comment there. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We're going to do fifteen seconds of fame in just a moment. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Unfortunately, passed away last week, but not before he gave us this um, brilliant song. Uh, you know, we still miss him and uh, died after a uh, battle with Parkinson. Sorry about that. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. You can be heard, if you're new to the program, on any subject for 15 seconds. Just give us a call. And uh, make your voice heard about anything you want. The one thing we'd ask is please just turn your radio down. Make sure your radio is off, not down, off. All right. Uh, want to again wish a happy birthday to my friend Kyle O'Brien and to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Meg Ventrudo, Hope Andrade. And uh, today also would have been both Ronald Reagan and Babe Ruth's birthday as well. There you have it. Uh, a lot of lot of interesting people born on this date. Oh, and Tommy Barlotta. Tommy Barlotta, who is not only a uh, good friend, 
by a regular listener. He calls in occasionally to this show. I asked him for his musical selections, and he never got back to me. I don't understand. Do not understand these folks. All right, 800-848-9222. We will go ahead and let you be heard for 15 seconds as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike! Tomorrow, Frank. Well, I'm in Myrtle Beach. Uh, Two days ago, I got about seven uh, texts from friends. That Chinese balloon, they shot it down like three miles away from where I'm staying. They said, be careful, Mike. Hey, listen, what am I going to do? Go in a bubble? You know, I'm in my oceanfront hotel. Whatever happens, happens. Good day, Frank. 1-800-848-9222. Larry. I really wish John C. would know what he's doing. He lets, he lets Lydia go, and he keeps this idiot, Anthony Weiner, thinking he's a centrist. He's a radical leftist moron. Get rid of him. Frank. Yeah, it's taken longer than I thought, Frank, but it's uh, this week that the Dow Jones hits 31731. Have a great night. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Leo! Morning, Frank. Didn't really appreciate on Friday that you said uh, you're going to take calls in order as they came and let me wait three and a half hours. Didn't even transfer me into 15 seconds on the end. Have a nice one. Ralph! Okay, uh, the military industrial conflict and, and in expanding over to the Philippines is alarming and concerning to me, but uh, you cannot expect that country to uh, uh, fight China on sticks and stones. So let it be, Frankie. Steve! The reason why the Republicans don't bring up visa violations is because China is the number one visa violator, always protecting their business partners, the establishment. Ralph should be an after-dinner speaker. Thank you, Steve. All right. That slams the lid on things for today. I will be back tomorrow. Uh, We'll have the latest on the ramifications of this balloon situation. Uh, Hopefully we're not at uh, war with China by then. Uh, but if we are, we'll tell you uh, we'll tell you the best places to go to avoid, you know, it affecting your Chinese food delivery services. All right, I'm not trying to be flippant. I realize it's serious, but we're out of time. What are you going to do? All right. Uh, hopefully, you'll stay in touch with me. Find me on Twitter at Frank Moreno. Frank Moreno. Good day. <laughs> 